It's a heat wave. It's a CU podcast heat wave. What? For August 2nd, Tuesday, 2016. Alongside Ian Ferguson. Howdy. Happy as always. I'm Pat Contry. Uh, we got a lot of cool stuff to talk about in the podcast. Suicide Squad reviews are just coming in. We have the release and reviews coming in for the Xbox One S. Oh boy, am I excited. Pokemon Go shenanigans going on. New Sonic games, two of them. New Nintendo NX details. And uh, your Q&A, among other things. But first, we have a, a few sponsors. You guys have heard me talk about Loot Crate before. They're the ones who send you collectibles, apparel, and more right to your door every single month. Ian, you've seen this stuff before. You like it yeah. for the most part. It's fantastic stuff. Um, and you have franchises, you know, Marvel, DC Heroes. You get Doctor Who stuff in there, video game characters every once in a while, and it's all for less than 20 bucks a month. Uh, August is going to feature anti-heroes. You know. We got Hellboy. We got uh, Kill Bill It's going to be in there. Archer, one of my favorites, uh, you know, on FX. It's going to come back for three new seasons, actually, Archer. Um, you're going to get two, at least two great collectibles, something wearable, and, of course, you get a monthly tee. You always get a T-shirt now. They went away from it for a while. They came back. Now you always get a T-shirt, uh, which is always good. And, and you see people wearing my conventions, like that RoboCop one. I, always wear I that, see them everywhere. I always wear that Power Rangers one with the white and green Ranger. It's always cool. Uh, and now they also have an upgrade available called Level Up. Uh now it's going to be called Lootware, though. Level up, now it's Lootware. So it's basically an upgrade to your normal uh, loot crate, and then you'll get a, at least a wearable item in there, like another T-shirt or something else. Um, the August Lootware crate is going to deliver stuff from Punisher, Suicide Squad, World of Warcraft, Harley Quinn, and Archer. Um, so go to lootcrate.com slash pat, enter promo code pat, to save 10% off any new subscription to any loot crate, including lootware. And you have until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific time uh, to subscribe and receive that month's crate, which is going to be the anti-hero. And our next sponsor is ArcadeWorks, the makers of the Omega, Arc- the Omega Entertainment Machine. Hands down the best way to play Neo Geo arcade games from the comfort of your own couch. Sporting a design inspired by the legendary home system, the Omega utilizes the low-cost MVS format to finally put Neo Geo gaming within financial reach. Each Omega ships with the latest Unibios, and the optional virtual memory card upgrade lets people save their progress in high scores, so get yours today at arcadeworks.net. Use coupon code Omega now for $10 off the purchase of an Omega Entertainment Machine. And we also have something for you guys to do if you have a couple minutes to spare. Uh, we'd like you guys to go to cupodcastsurvey.com and basically take a short survey about demographics, about who you are, what you listen to besides this podcast, if you listen to any other podcast, what your general interests are. I mean, we know, uh, but we'd like to find out as well. And um, it's not mandatory, but if you want to, uh, if you send in your email address at the end of that survey, you'll be entered to win a chance to get a digital copy uh, of Ultimate Nintendo, Guide to the NES Library. A certain so, book. A certain book. A certain guidebook. So it's not mandatory. The email address that's collected is be only used for the giveaway. Nothing else. It won't be sold. It won't be uh, used for spam or anything else. So again, it's a short survey. Uh, if you want to take it, uh, it would be very appreciative uh, for Ian and I to do that. Um, and you can, and it's totally anonymous and it's quick. So again, that's cupodcastsurvey.com for that. So Ian, what's been going on in the world? How was uh, Comic Con? Comic Con was a lot of fun for me this year, but I'm kind of realizing after maybe 
eight or nine of these that not only is my experience changing for reasons of um well comic-con for me has always been more of a social experience than Mm -hmm. than i I think a lot of people go to comic-con for panels and things like that and i've i've done exactly one panel in my entire comic-con career and that that was i went to the initial street fighter 4 panel um, my friend Brandon had to go as press to do a write-up on it, and uh, him, myself, and a handful of friends went. And, uh, you know, it was fun to see. It was before Street Fighter Four came out. But I've always viewed it as a big, nerdy shopping mall. I take a relatively robust budget, and I buy a lot of comics through for the upcoming year. But a lot of my friends can't come down anymore. They haven't been able to. Uh, and this year was, was, you know, relatively light on it. Um, and... I used to have a lot of fun exploring the different booths and, you know, discovering new stuff. But, you know, a lot of these people don't want to give up their booths. So it's harder to find new stuff. You're, sure. you're seeing, the same stuff you're every seeing year. new stuff same every year. Same spots every year, same merchandise. So it's great because I've discovered a lot of great booths. But now my shopping is done in the course of half a day. I, I You know, I hit these same booths every year and they get my money every year. And that's great. Um, I only have one day of hauling around heavy bags instead of four. Um, but if I don't have friends or constant, um, you know, social obligations, um, it's harder and harder for me to fill up these days. This was, I think the first comic con that I did not spend basically open to close there every day. Um, that said, I still had a really good time. Um, I did hang out with a bunch of new friends that, you know, are, are local, um, who do uh, comic book stuff, including my friend Adam, who's a colorist on Nailbiter. It was really good to spend some time with him. Um, and we had our panel with James and Pixel Dan and uh, Andre Meadows, and uh, it was really fun to get to see them. And, you know, at the end of the day on Sunday, I looked back on it, and I was I was happy that I had spent all the time at Comic-Con I did. But I think in, in, in the future, I'd probably be good with two days. You know, um, I, 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 the thing is, I, Comic-Con is kind of the centerpiece of my summer. It's what I look forward to every year. And when I'm not there, I feel like I'm missing something. But I think this year I really kind of realized that maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not missing something if I don't go all four days. So it was a great time, but I, I, I think maybe next year I'll cool on it a little bit in terms of the amount of time I actually spend at the convention. I did three days. And uh, I think my days of four days, my 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 years of four days at Comic Con are over. Last year I, I did four. I think I was gonna do three, and I did four, and I regretted that because I'm just worn out. Really? I thought you did two last year. I thought I you two, really I, cut okay, down. At least I at least did three last year. Okay. I at least did three, uh, but this year I skipped Thursday, missed nothing. I could have probably even skipped Friday if I wanted to, uh, except that I was hanging out with James. And I thought that would be bad, so I wanted to hang out with James. Obviously, show him around. He stayed here. I would have totally skipped Sunday if it wasn't for the fact that we had our panel. Um, so, Friday I got my uh, my NECA uh, Ninja Turtles arcade figures. That was fun. Nice. No box to fit in him. You know, like they gave me those big shipping boxes, but they fit like six. So, it was really awkward me carrying around downtown, going to a place to eat. That was fun. Uh, but it was great. I met Bear McCrary, who is a composer for James's movies. He's also a composer on Walking Dead and video games. So, he was a really nice guy. Absolutely uh, nice. I uh, met him at Tin Fish, where I ran into for the second year in a row, Sean Baby. Again, this time I was with, I was with James, and so I got to 
James met Sean Baby, I think, for the first time, I believe. And they got a picture together. It was kind of cool. <laughs> sort of the meeting of the, you know, angry uh, NES reviewers or angry old video game reviewers together from different The generations. old guard. Yeah. Well, one from 99 and one from 2006, you know. Uh, so that was a cool picture. I never thought I would, you know, be in a picture with all... If you asked me, like, even, you know, seven, eight years ago, I'd be in a picture with, with uh, James Rolfe and Sean Baby. I'd be like, you will be kidding me. Um, so that was fun. And then... Um, the panel I thought went very well. Uh, for a Sunday afternoon, it was totally packed, and there was people. I hear at least a hundred people waiting outside again. The panel couldn't get in, so sorry guys, we're, we're way too popular for you for the for the room space. <laughs> so hopefully next year another panel will be possible. And then hung out with Frank, who was whining, complaining on Sunday, almost didn't go to the panel. By this thing, he was hangry, need some food. And I'm like, Frank, you better go to the panels. That's the only reason you're in Comic-Con this year, because I got you in. I felt like you should have just let Frank do whatever the hell he wanted. Yeah. That, hey, that's fine. That I ain't getting him in next year. That's all. Come on, Frank. You got you to show some respect what, for that. What was he supposed to enjoy out of that panel? He said he enjoyed it afterwards. He honestly said he enjoyed it. He all actually right. learned stuff. As long as he, he had was being fun. a whiny baby before. Frank could be uh, pretty much a brat uh, sometimes. But Frank had fun. We, we always have fun looking for the trade paperbacks, the half-priced ones. I bought about four or five this year, half-priced ones. I got the Iron Man Armor Wars one, the arc from like the mid-80s. I always wanted to read that one. And I got the um, Streets of Poison. That was like the one or two-year two period. I want to say like 91 and Captain America when Diamondback was there. And I think you had um, some other stuff going on with Black Widow. I think maybe getting in and out of there, and uh, uh, Bullseye showed up. So that's when I was kind of regularly regularly reading uh, comic books. I, I read some of that in the early nineties because now I guess Marvel's putting out these collections where before you know they did the Marvel Masterworks, where it was like you know the first like whatever ten years. So now every major comic I think is having two year sets for everything. So you can buy like eighties and nineties like two years in one, like twenty four issues in one trade paperback. So nice. I started seeing those. Anyway, so that was fun. Uh, we'll see about next year for Comic-Con. Uh, in terms of upcoming events, I'll be at Game On Expo this this weekend, August uh, 5th in Mesa, Arizona. And then uh, uh, the SoCal Retro Gaming Expo, August 20th in City of Industry at the Frank and Son Collectibles Show. Uh, Ian might be a last-minute edition. We're not sure. No, actually, I, I won't be a last minute hate to say it. Saw my work schedule for this month. I officially will not be at that one. My... My convention schedule starts to open up in uh, September. I'll definitely be at Portland. And um, what conventions are coming up in November? Syracuse. Yeah, I might be able to might do, do that Syracuse. Uh, that that'll be a, that one will be touches because that'll be a week before the maybe the NES marathon. But we'll see what happens with that. So other than that, there's new ass Frank out. The book's available at ultimatenes.com. Beta testing's beginning relatively soon on the what NES app? That's right. So let's get into it. This hot off the presses, Xbox One S are getting into websites' hands like GameSpot and IGN, and reviews are starting to come out on the Xbox One. Well, it's available today publicly, and uh, it appears to be your basic redesign with some uh, slight buffs to it. Um, so let's go over what the One S is. So it's a slimmer... Uh, version of the original Xbox One. It does not come bundled with the Kinect. They've officially jettisoned that um, extraneous uh, peripheral that no one wanted. Um, It's more compact. 
and it has a power supply built into it. It has the power supply built into it, which is great for people who need to put it into a smaller space or who want it to lie flush against the wall. Um, it's 40% smaller, and it's noticeably quieter, uh, and it runs a lot cooler. Ultra HD Blu-ray drive for 4K movie playback. Right. Uh, it can do 4K, and it can also do... Um, what is it called? HDR. The, the HDR. High d- dynamic range, which is basically... A better contrast between your blacks and your whites. Yeah, so like in the same shot, you noticeably, if like, say you're, I don't know, you have a shadow on some ice patch, and you have the the high, the, the biggest range, you'd be able to see more dynamic, I guess the colors, extremes, things like that. That's basically what it is. Better contrast ratio, if you want to put it more simply. So what 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 this means I think in general is this is a, from from my standpoint as a as a manager of a place that does does repairs is this likely will be a, a in the long run a more reliable version of the Xbox One and probably what they should have done in the first place although who knows how feasible it would have been at, at that price point. Um, I believe this is the two terabyte model that's been released. Um, it should be three ninety nine, right? And there will be a uh, a a one terabyte model and a five hundred gigabyte model that will be uh, three forty nine and two ninety nine respectively. They are being launched at the end of this month. Um, this is sort of a move to get the hardcore or the diehards to adopt early, and then the people who are a little bit more um, casual about this uh, to to jump in. Or to to wait and jump in a little bit later, um, I I kind of see this as a a pointless stopgap between the original Xbox One and the Project Scorpio next next year, which sounds like a a far more significant upgrade. Um, depending on who you listen to and talk to, uh, even a, a, a far more significant upgrade than what uh, Sony's doing with the uh, PlayStation Neo. Um, this. However, could be a great entry point for those who never got into the Xbox One, uh, would like to get into it, but perhaps do not care about the extra power um, afforded to them by the Project Scorpio, uh, or perhaps have a gaming PC, but would like access to Xbox One exclusives uh, earlier on, or would like access to things that aren't going to be available on PC. My question is, with Microsoft's um, continuing interest in kind of blurring the line between their Xbox brand and their Windows 10 uh, brand, I'm really starting to wonder what the hell the point of the Xbox One is as a whole. Sure, but I I guess the 1S wants to capitalize on the 4K. So, okay, so you shouldn't get this if you don't have a 4K TV. First and foremost, and a lot of people still don't because a lot of people just end up getting their new LEDs the past like three, four years. Do you really want to spend double that and spend two thousand on a four K TV? Probably not. Um, the what is it? The I think the, the the GPU is slightly faster. So for for some older games, it will be able to unlock a, a or smooth out the frame rates that has been confirmed. I don't know about all of them, but it looks like uh, last year's uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider uh, might be faster or smoother for the frame rate. But it's not going to be universal. It's going to be like, can it tap into whatever the game... I guess the game had had latent functionality for the future already built into it to, now, to sure. enable it you know, to do more effects or to smooth out the, uh, the frame rate. So if you don't have the 4K TV, this obviously isn't for you. If you just got an Xbox One within the past year or two, this isn't for you. If you're waiting for Project Scorpio next year, which is going to be a significant upgrade over this, this isn't for you. So then, 
it's for that, I guess, person that has to have the top of the line technology for their Xbox console, but isn't willing to wait another year to get the one they're going to buy anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of think this is... It almost seems like, to retract my previous statement, this is for the person who is going to get the Scorpio and feels like they need every single upgrade. Sure. I, I mean, I'll admit, this is kind of aimed at the market. This is kind of aimed at the person like me, um, but but it, the way I am for a Nintendo 3DS, the way certain people are for their iPhones. I basically buy every 3DS iteration. There are people who will buy every iteration of an iPhone, and there are people who will probably buy every iteration of an Xbox One. Which is interesting, just because the Xbox One is is shown to be greatly lagging in 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 sales. Well, it, at least lagging in sales. I won't I won't use the hyperbole without the current numbers, which have not been released. But it was ten million, and then it was twenty million uh, compared to the PS4. That's not particularly great, at least not in the US. So there is a hardcore fan base for it. That much I know. Um, but yeah, it just seemed like a, an odd move on Microsoft's part. If you want to get an Ultra Blu-ray player, then you might as well get this because there's there are at least two hundred dollars to get those, maybe three hundred dollars. So it's the same same price to get that in the console. The same way people bought DVD instead of buying a DVD player, they bought the PS2 because it was the same price as a DVD player. Yeah. So you might as well just do that. But like I always say, Blu-ray is not getting adopted far and wide, and I highly doubt that Ultra Blu-ray is going to be adopted even close to what Blu-ray is. Because why would you then? have to deal with another technology that's antiquated with a new one that's going to be antiquated already. You know, it's like you're just spinning your wheels on old technology and it doesn't make any sense anymore. Uh, since everyone's going away from physical media in general, it just, I mean, it'd be one thing if you're just buying the, the console and then you got to buy a TV to match it. So it's like, okay, now it's not an investment of just $300. It's an investment of $2,300. Mm. You know, if you want a 50 inch, you know, 4k TV. So it's, it's kind of weird at that point. You're, you're kind of really getting down to that technophile. You well, know. and that's the thing. I think I, there's this... The technophiles are the ones who speak the loudest about this stuff, which creates an inaccurate portrayal of how many people are actually interested in 4K TVs and technology like this. When in reality, I think a number of people are going to be just fine with 1080p for a long, long time. Absolutely. I actually, I, I, I really don't think 4K in living rooms is going to be something that is common for quite some time. And remember, the, the games coming out have to support this HDR. Not all of them will coming out in order to have it display on the TV with it. So, you know, it's 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 a it's a weird stopgap, and I don't think it's going to do particularly well unless they just wipe the other Xbox ones off the shelves and don't and pretend they don't exist and then put this one out. Yeah. But, but there's probably still so much old stock already out there that they might have to drop the price of that to only 200 bucks. You know, in order they're to, already selling for like 229 used or something like that. They the drop it a little more. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's kind of nuts. All right, Ian, what's been going on with this Marvel Ultimate Alliance re-release? Well, the Marvel Ultimate Alliance series is kind of like a, a mix between like a, a, a Gauntlet or a Baldur's Gate type, um, not not the not the classic PC RPGs, but the console uh, Dark Alliance series. They're they're dungeon crawlers uh, that that utilize uh, the Marvel universe and the Marvel characters, um, where you you go through levels, you beat up enemies, you gain experience, and you get skill trees. You can unlock more powers for your characters, and uh, people love them. 
especially Marvel fans, you usually have a large selection of Marvel superheroes to pick from. Uh, they stemmed from the X Men Legend series, which was what, oh, sorry, which is what what spawned the, uh, the, the the whole series. And they're beloved, and for uh, a long time they disappeared due to licensing. Um, the Marvel license is notor- notoriously flitters between companies, and somehow Activision has gotten this back and has decided to re-release them because fans love them. Well, they really kind of botched this re-release. Um, they re-released both of them at forty dollars each for games that. How old are these games? Well, the first one is old enough to have uh, PlayStation One and Xbox versions. Those were the original, or PlayStation Two and uh, Xbox versions. So like two thousand six, about. I think earlier than that. Those were the original consoles they came out on. They also got um, Xbox three sixty and PS three releases. Yeah, two thousand six. So, so, okay, so I was gonna. You're right. Yeah, about two thousand six, around the time October those consoles released. And then uh, the Alt- Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2 was probably about two years later, maybe three years later, 2009. And um, they released on Steam, uh, and they had, uh, and I believe Xbox One and PS4, uh, with no controller support on the Steam releases, which is just, I mean, an absolutely stupid and glaring oversight. And for the $40 price tag, or you could buy both for $60. Uh, they had none of the original DLC packed in, which was like an additional six or seven characters at least for the second version. Wow. And uh, a number of performance issues uh, um, uh, described for both. So this is a classic uh, Activision uh, cash grab. Um, And basically, they slapped an insanely high price tag uh, on two games... Uh, hoping to appeal to the nostalgia market for two games that were well-received, uh, and, and hoping that the, the fanboys and the people who fondly remembered these would, would, would pay out for them. Um, luckily, it seems like Marvel are being the good guys in this, and uh, caught wind of the... Um, the mouse the, caught wind? The, yeah, uh, caught, caught wind of the problems, and uh, currently, um, since this article has come out, uh, they're they're working on fixing the problems and basically forcing Activision's hand to include the DLC in uh, both uh, both games and uh, fix the performance issues, uh, add the controller yeah. support to Steam, and basically make these worth the price point, or at least as worth the price point as you can. I highly doubt Activision is going to change the price yeah. point. That would do nothing but piss off the people who have already bought them at this price point. So I, I don't see the price point changing. Yeah, Bill Roseman, the creative director at Marvel Games, actually went on Twitter and said the add-on content and PC fixes are on the way. So yeah, they're not happy because this is at the end of the day, this is still a game with their characters. Yeah, and it's going to yeah. make them look bad if they don't fix it. Even if Activision publishes it, a lot of people have a tough time separating developer mm-hmm. from publisher license. from character license. Yeah. So it only behooves Marvel to make this to fix this mess as quickly as they can and make this look as good as they possibly can. Yeah, they I mean, I bl- squat, squat over to Activision and, and tell them, hey, fuckers, yeah. if you ever want to work with us again, you're going to fix this. And I believe, um, I believe, like, the, the, the ad for, or, the, the you know, the, um, the advertising text for the first one even said the Hulk was going to be, what, what the, the Hulk 
was included in the first one, uh-huh. which was originally like I think a pre-order bonus or something like that, or in a DLC pack. And of course, he's he wasn't in the the, the game when you downloaded it because he this, was part of a DLC pack, is, or he was a he was a pre-order bonus. So you know, people were immediately pissed about that because they downloaded it and they went to go play as the Hulk, and he's nowhere to be found. So good one, Activision. This is this is where having a huge. Uh, scary corporation like Disney is actually working in the consumer's favor. Because at the end of the day, they want your money, Disney, but they want to make sure you have fun. If you have more fun, they get more of your money, everyone wins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They want to make Disney as fun as possible. That's why when someone dies horribly, they, they get the body away and hose it all down quickly so you go back <laughs> on that ride and someone just got decapita- decapitated on. And you look up the deaths at Disney list. It's really fun to read. But anyway, so I'm glad that Disney's stepping in and saying, all right, let's take care of this mess. Activision, because you know this is a game that came out before Disney owned these characters, but they're still now it, it's still their baby though. It's still they have to watch out for it. So good on them for uh, putting the pressure on. That probably was not a pleasant phone call. To, to no, <laughs> no, I can't imagine it was. Ever seen the South Park with, with Mickey going around beating the shit out of people with a bat? No, <laughs> probably something like that. <laughs> All right, so uh, lots of more Pokemon Go news. It's still in the news. It's still tons of fun for everyone, Ian. I'm enjoying it still, although a lot of people are complaining about it. Um, before I get into that, though, I I um, wrongly uh, guessed at the, how quickly I thought the uh, burn-off on this game was you going said, to be. You said like a month or a couple weeks? I, I honestly thought it was only going to take maybe two weeks. And uh, Vani and I um, went out for ice cream last night. And, you know, we're playing a little as we're walking around up and down the street. And, I mean, there was a mom and her kid playing, and, you know, at the ice cream shop, we're sitting outside at the table, and there's people playing. We went out for lunch yesterday. Vani and I haven't had a day off together in, like, two, two and a half weeks because of Comic-Con and work schedules and stuff like that. So, we were out and about yesterday, and everyone's still playing the game. And, I mean, that that really kind of makes me happy to a degree, seeing people out and having a good time. Um, but Niantic uh, made some changes recently and probably their biggest update, and a lot of them are, are, are upsetting people. And I, I, I'm i sure I'll get flack for this because I get flack for fucking everything. But um, some of these changes, I, I, I don't necessarily understand why they're upsetting people. Um, the first big change... Um, is that Pokemon tracking is has been uh, completely re- well, not completely removed, but uh, changed for what many people say is the worst. Um, except for the fact that Pokemon tracking never worked in the first place. Oh. So Pokemon tracking, uh, when you're playing the game, in the lower right-hand corner, uh, it would show three Pokemon. And underneath it would be footprints. Uh Ideally, how this was supposed to work would be uh, three footprints meant that they were within 200 meters of each other, or right. within 200 meter, meters of you. Uh, two footprints would mean 100, and one footprint would mean uh, 50, and no footprints meant that it was real close to you, and if you started tapping within uh, your circle area, like the radius that would you know ping out from you, uh, you might get it to pop up okay. without it just showing up randomly. Because so most of the time... You can see it and you can try to capture it. Yeah. Now, most of the time, the Pokemon would just appear if you were close enough, but you could sometimes, you know, get rattle them out of the bushes or whatever. Okay. So, problem was, is there was something known as the three-step glitch, and that was basically all Pokemon were always shown to be three steps away. Only ever once did I ever see Pokemon not 
three steps away, and that was once I saw no footprints under a Pokemon. I tapped wildly, and it appeared. Um, every other time I played since the very beginning of me playing, it was always three steps away. So, in essence, Pokemon tracking has always been broken. It's always been broken. It's always been broken. So, in the new update, they completely eliminated the footprints instead of fixing the problem. Now, supposedly Niantic has said they're not going to fix it. And they said they're not going to fix it because they've determined that it would cause too many problems. And I think their big fear is that with the footprints there, kind of giving you a rough idea of how close you might be, you're more likely to start wandering into places you maybe shouldn't be wandering into. So if you get too close to private property or something Mm -hmm. like that, you might start wandering into it. But this has really pissed off a lot of people, essentially taking a part of the game out that they thought would um, improve the experience. On one hand, I get it. You kind of want to know when you're getting closer to a Pokemon. But on the other hand, it never worked, and it never bo- it never yeah. it never bothered people's initial enjoyment of it. So you're complaining about the removal, quote unquote, of a feature that was never really there in the first place. Sure. So that's one point I don't get. The other is the shutdown of external tracking sites. Um, a lot of these used. Uh, sort of hacking into Niantic's data to basically show you what Pokemon were uh, more common in what areas at any given time. Basically so that you could sort of cheat the game, log onto these websites and look at maps and sort of see where the Pokemon were. Now, from what I understand, some of these were word of mouth, which is kind of okay. That I'm, I'm, I'm sort of okay with, you know. Uh, the game is designed to foster community. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's alright. But I also have no issue with Niantic uh, looking at some of these and, 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 and shutting down the ones that are against their terms of service. That's totally within their right. And if you're messing with their program, I, I also don't really see a whole lot of issue with this. Um, some, some more innocuous or less less problematic updates. Uh, now when you start the game, it's pretty funny. Uh, as soon as you start the game, uh, it gives you a series of warnings, such as uh, do not play Pokemon Go while driving. Oh, yeah. Or uh, do not trespass onto private property while driving. Or a, when you start the game and it's loading, it says, be aware of your surroundings. And then when it loads into the game screen, sometimes it will again say, please be aware of your surroundings. Like, because... Because people are driving while playing Pokemon. People are constantly bumping into people while playing Pokemon, and they're not being aware of their surroundings. Um, there's a story in, from Australia. Oh, yeah. About um, that park in Australia that... Um, I, I'm not sure what makes this one so special, because I don't. it shows three Pokestops that constantly have lures, and if you go to Balboa Park uh, in San Diego, for instance, it, it's the same thing, where people well, crowd there at night. What makes this... This is in the middle of a suburb. So, right, sure. Where people live there. So basically, their park went from being quiet to overrun with people. Yeah. Like, we're talking a little vandalizing. Uh, we're talking, the, the like, the fields being destroyed, because grass walked on too much, becomes, like, mud and dirt. Um... I saw a video where they were clogging the streets. This is a, a, a let's see, Patterson Park. So basically, there was a video at night where people are on the sidewalks, both sides, mm-hmm. and yeah, cars literally have those. to honk yeah. to get people out of the way. Right. Uh, right. It, there was a story about how a fire truck couldn't get through because people were uh, crowding the streets, and they 
um, you know, they couldn't get to a fire in a timely manner. Oh, I'll assume it's Peg Patterson Park. That's what it is. And, I mean, obviously, that's ridiculous. And, you know, that's when a game gets taken too far. I love this game. I love that it's bringing people together. I like the fact that it's creating, a, you know, a social scene around it. But people have got to use their heads. you got to stay out of the streets. You can't fucking be blocking a but goddamn is, fire truck. Is this, I guess, where the weird part where, like, people are traveling, looks like... Um, Up, the, upwards of 10, 12, 12, 12 miles. miles away to get to this park to capture more Pokemon. It's like... That's to me again. That's where I'm totally disconnected. This objectively, that's where it gets scary to me, when when it drives people to do things like that, and then now the whole neighborhood gets turned upside down for a while. But they did put in a request Niantic to get rid of that as you know, was it three Pokestops in one location? Yeah. They were eliminated, so no, no one's going, no one's going any going there anymore. So I guess these they'll have to iron out these. Well, that's a real life bug. Yeah, that's fucked with people. You know, <laughs> like. What so, can you do? There, there are a couple other updates, just two more that I'll touch on. Um, I think there's probably a couple more, but just two more that I'll touch on that uh, I've got one in particular I don't understand. People were complaining that, you know, it, in some areas you can't catch certain Pokemon or that uh, certain common Pokemon were appearing too often. Well, you know what? In the game, common Pokemon appear too often, too. That's It's, common. It, it's realistic to the game. Yeah. So uh, various like Pokemon spawning, how, how the Pokemon spawn, um, are spawning more varied Pokemon. And this has led to some realist, unrealistic things like certain water Pokemon spawning in like dry or deserty areas, which... And some certain common Pokemon are spawning slightly less. And now people are complaining about this, um, which is ridiculous. Uh, one major complaint, though, that I do have a beef with is in the iOS version, they took out the battery saver mode. Now, what the battery saver mode does is if you put if you turn your phone upside down, um, it darkens the screen so as to save some of your oh, battery. Okay. It's not always on. Now, so the game stays on... Um, and it will vibrate if a Pokemon pops up so that you can, you know, pull your phone out of your pocket, flip it back upwards, and then, you know, go about what you, you know, playing the game. But it caused a lot of errors so that when you pulled it out and then you flipped it back upwards, the screen would go dark again. I imagine this is something that Niantic is going to work on and hopefully, you know, reinstitute. But what's interesting is that um, these changes have caused the game to go from a pretty high star rating uh, all the way down to. Um, like a one and a half star rating, and it's just it's people complaining to complain. Yeah. Um, they say that Pokemon are running away more in battle. Uh, some people see this as being uh, an attempt to you know waste Pokeballs and get people to spend more money on it. Um, my current play experience, I haven't really seen a higher uh, occurrence of this, um, but I'm not going to doubt people when they say that's the truth. Also, it is a free-to-play game. They want you to spend money. I have dumped exactly $0 into this game since playing and have had a really enjoyable experience. Vani, who plays it a lot more than me, has put $10 into it and has probably gotten over $60 worth of, I mean, if you try to compare yeah. it to... If you try to compare it to a game that you buy off the shelf, she's probably gotten far more than $60 worth of game enjoyment out of it. So... I, I, I can't necessarily fault them for looking at it and being like, well, maybe our pay-to-play model was a little too lenient. Yeah, and uh, and this is before they're going to put in, you know, player-versus-player battles. Yeah. Which would be great because you'll have people getting pissed at each other in person and then, like, they'll go from looking at their phones to swinging at each other with fists <laughs> when, when their Pokemon gets defeated. So, 
interesting things happening because of this phenomenon that I, I predicted would die down, die down after six months. We'll see. We're almost a month in right now. Um, Polka dates from Project Fix Up. So Project Fix Up is, I guess, a newer form of internet dating. Not familiar with it at all. Where uh, they they set up sort of like they put you in touch with people. I guess it's more of like searching for people and they sort of find a match for you to go out on dates or meet up at a certain area. I don't know. I'm not maybe for the podcast. I can experiment. I can go on Project Fix Up and see what happens. With that's that that'll get me playing Pokemon Go for, for, <laughs> for Poke Dates. So this is how Poke Dates works. Um, so you answer a few questions uh, about yourself and what you seek in a Poke Date. And then one of your special, one of the specials will review your pro- Poke profile. See, they're altering their regular p- project picks up just for Pokemon Go dates. <laughs> you share your schedule. You confirm your Poke date. Once I guess it comes to you, do you want to go out with this person? Um, and your first Poke date is free. I have no idea what the cost is, but they want to get you hooked. Then after that, catch them all together. Does show up to the. Uh, Right place and time can barely read it because it's like uh, white on yellow font. It's really small. And catch them all together on your polka date. Um, so the, <laughs> it says Pokemon Go is arguably the best idea of the 21st century. Absolutely. It's the best, the best. idea. <laughs> Biotech, fuck that. <laughs> Better internet, who cares? Medical breakthroughs, no, it's Pokemon Go. Combining heartfelt nostalgia with the latest in augmented reality technology, this game allows 2 to 200 year olds to explore the polka world via the real world. I don't think two-year-olds should be going on dates. Don't think there's ever been confirmed two hundred-year-old. Although I did see something about there might be there might have been a hundred and forty-year-old that either still is alive or might have. That's all their conversation. Yeah. Um, go out, go out about and roam this world of ours. You can, you literally cannot play without moving. And Fitbits all over the world have been tracking record steps as a result. While competitive, most users see more upside in collaboration. And this game has been breaking societal barri- barriers and making friends left and right. What's next for Pokemon Go? Well, it's obvious, isn't isn't it? They didn't put the it in. Isn't. Well, it's obvious, isn't. Pokedates. Maybe that's a Freudian slip of the... Of, of the grammar there. <laughs> Ian, would you ever do Pokedates if you were single? Um, I mean... I'd consider it, I guess. It's a, I, I mean, I think it's a very cute idea. And, um... I don't know. I, I kind of see it as a thing that's happened naturally. Uh, it, Have you seen people start making out after they're searching for a Pokemon together? No, but I think it's right. already a naturally very easy way to meet people, at least in its current popularity. You bump into someone else on the phone while you're walking, you go, oh, you must be searching for that, that, that Squirtle around here. I've heard stories about it. I mean, people strike up conversation all the time. I mean... Guys, girls. I mean, I, I, guys, guys. I mean, I, I, I've just seen. I mean, in 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 the walks that Vani and I have taken to go play, I've seen all sorts of people who are, you know, at least to me, obvious strangers walking in opposite directions, you know, crossing paths, stopping, talking. It's it's a very social game, um, and I think a lot of this sort of thing, if you were to look for it, you'd probably find stories about this out there happening naturally. So I, I think that this is kind of a cute idea. I don't know what the success would be, honestly, compared to this just happening naturally, because there already are Pokemon Go meetups. And I would assume that single people are out there playing, and you're going to make friends. And that sort of thing just happens at social functions. So, I don't know. I, I, I think it's a neat idea. What's next? Polka orgies? 
You would be too busy to catch Pokemon. Want to see my Poly World? Is that is that a, is that a Pokemon? It is a Pokemon. <laughs> I know like four different Pokemon. <laughs> you are a sad man. <laughs> All right, so uh, Ian at Comic Con, you were at that that Sonic Bash. Yeah, uh, right, right, right across from Comic Con, they have a little Sonic party every year. Mo- most years, it's called Sonic Boom. It was my second one. Um, Vonnie is a Sonic fan. She's been to three of them, and uh, I mean, I, have I, to... I heard nothing but that it was so glitchy. The event audio dropouts, and it was oh no, the right. event itself live was a lot of fun. There oh. were no problems; just people watching it online. There was like no technical problems live. Um, I heard that the stream itself was a fucking mess. Uh, but I have I, I full of Totino's loaded nachos, uh, like plugs and shit like that. I mean, I have no idea. I, 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 I did see the one picture posted on Twitter showing Sonic dancing awkwardly next to the DJ a few feet away. Oh yeah, I mean, but, <laughs> but the thing is, is like it's stupid, goofy fun. They treat you really nice. Um, there's free food. They give you drink tickets. Um, there's a performance by this really cheese dick band called Crush 40 that has done most of the Sonic music since Sonic Adventure. Cheese dick, is that a genre? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like butt rock, cheese dick. <laughs> it's like, it's just like this, I mean, it's, it's, it's... Something it's, you'd hear in a Dreamcast game? Yeah, something you'd hear <laughs> in a Dreamcast game. It's bad, but it's, 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 and I'm not a, I'm, I'm not like this massive Sonic fan. I like the Genesis games, and I like Sonic Adventure 1, but... It, it's a good time. I mean, there are. I mean, I'm sitting along the bar having drinks, and there are people in the crowd having fucking religious experiences. I mean, crying as the band's playing and shit like that. I mean, it's insane. But I mean, free chili dogs because you know that's Sonic's favorite food from the cartoon and the early comics, and sliders, and um, they give you a bag of really nice swag with like Pepto Bismol with there. like uh, plush animals and comics and. And uh, me and um, they they give you like this really they gave you like this really heavy like a uh, like a uh, bra- like bronze like twenty fifth anniversary Sonic coin that's like this huge okay. and like I mean really nice stuff and like it's a well put together event like I said from the live experience but one of the big things was the first thing they kind of kicked off with was the announcement of Sonic Mania. And people lost their fucking minds. And kind of for good reason. Um, so Sonic Mania is a new Sonic game, and I think most people know about it at this point. But Kind of new. Um, well, kind of new. Yeah, we'll get to that. I, I, I have my criticisms of it, but I'm also fairly excited for it. Um, it is an actual return to um, 2D Sonic Roots, uh, with legitimate sprite-based graphics, um, and uh, like unlike uh, Sonic uh, Sonic the Hedgehog Four, which never even got fucking finished, um, it actually looks like somewhere between a 16, 32-bit sprite-based game. Um, what's kind of important about this one is it's uh, uh, Christian Whitehead is behind it. Who was behind the um, the updated ports of Sonic CD that was on mobile, and I believe it won Mobile Game of the Year uh, two years ago when it was put out. He also did updates, I believe, of Sonic One and Sonic Two that were the um, ports that uh, that were put on console and also mobile uh, using his uh, own retro engine. Basically, this is a guy who knows what the fuck he's doing. 
Um, and this is a mixture of basically remixes of old zones like Green Hill Zone and completely new levels. Uh, it's going to have three playable characters, Sonic, Knuckles, and Tails. So it's going to be similar to Sonic 3 in that regards. Um, I didn't wait in line to play the demo. There were far more diehards there than I. So I kind of wanted to just, I mean, it was only going to be available to play for us, you know, until the end of the event. A lot of people wanted to play. I figured, screw it, I'll just give up my spot for someone else to play it. And uh, by all accounts, the physics felt right. The game felt right. Unlike uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 4, um, you know, none of the controls felt floaty. It felt exactly like a Sonic game should. Um, besides looking gorgeous, I, I really want to play this. I'm excited for the new zones. I wish they would stop relying on recycling the old, old zones so goddamn much. But that's much. nostalgia. That's like, hey, you remember playing this 25 years ago? Play it for the sixth time. And there is something, you know, endearing and appealing about seeing the aesthetics of Green Hill Zone, but they've just done it so many times. And what I think is problematic about it this time is if this was the first time they had leaned on it, it would be one thing, but Sonic the Hedgehog 4, I think, left such a bad taste in people's mouths because, as far as I can recall, there were no new zones. They were literally just rehashes of all the old zones. So I, I think to the to to the non-diehards, to the non-true believers, they're looking at this and they're going, really? So this is sort of the Sonic safety school. This is like they know they can't miss with this. Right. They're going to have some of the old stuff. It's going to look like the game's 25 years ago, but we're going to have some new ones, too. So, I mean, you got to like this. Come on, guys. you got to like this. All three playable characters. Come on. They, they added, what, one new... Uh, the drop dash, which I guess is you jump and you can dash as soon as you... As soon as you drop. land, which I actually think looks pretty cool. Keeps the momentum going. They did show some platforming, which... Um, there are a lot of people who seem to be mistaken in that uh, Sonic the Hedgehog is all about speed. Bullshit. It's not... The first Sonic the Hedgehog had a lot of platforming in it, and when Sonic tried to go and be all about speed, I think it failed. Um, you know, you, you need a good mix. The speed was the payoff to careful platforming. It was that, that fun release that you got from from navigating, you know, the trickier, more trap-filled parts. Um, so I, I, I think this looks good, and I think a lot of people, even the more skeptical, are, are thinking that, yeah, this, this could... Even if a little redundant, this could actually be a really fun Sonic game, and and quite possibly the first fun Sonic game since Sonic Generations. So you have uh, zones from the first three Sonic games, and then um, also Sonic CD will be there. It's going to be on PS4, Xbox One, and PC coming out spring. 2017. There was another Sonic game announced, though, too. Ugh. Yeah, Pro uh, Project Sonic or Sonic uh, 2017. Um... This one is <laughs> this one's interesting to me because it, it is it's 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 Sonic Generations two, um, you know it's a little it was a little darker in tone which was like eh, um, it was a shorter um, more cinematic uh, trailer it didn't really show any gameplay, um, but it did show new Sonic and it talks about how heroes need old friends and it showed uh. Um, old Sonic, old style Sonic, the shorter, chubbier, cuter Sonic, you know, jump back in, and that's uh, obviously a throwback to Sonic Generations. And um, it's funny to me because uh, Sega said, 
enjoy it while you can because we're never going to do this again, basically. And then after trying to, you know, do, you know, the Sonic uh, Lost World and the Sonic Generations and, you know, having and Sonic Colors and having all three be met with lukewarm to, you know, very negative reviews, um, Sega's realizing that their only hope is to pander to their audience. The difference is, in this case, pandering to their audience kind of brings up the the best in them because they know what works. And while they're falling back on on on, on what they know and they're not innovating, I just don't think anyone trusts Sega to innovate anymore. And I think they're totally happy eating their bowl of mashed potatoes or macaroni and cheese, their comfort food. I think that's what people want from Sega now. Well, at least from their Sonic games. I mean, yes, Sonic never branched out like Mario did. No. Successfully. They're, they're whatever, cart so, games or whatever well, else. Well, actually, the cart games got high. Were, I mean, even among like major publications, their cart games got very good reviews. Do they, they sell well, though, enough to bring them back? Uh, they got a sequel. All right. They can always go to that well then if they want to try that. But uh, I, I think whenever they try to do like an adventure game or something, it's just like people are just like no. I like Sonic Adventure One. The thing is, is like the the, the diehard fans love Sonic Adventure Two, and I have no idea why. Sonic Adventure Two, in my opinion, is one of the shittiest three D games I've ever played. The Sonic and Shadow levels are fun for the the speed element, but the uh, Knuckles and Rouge levels and the uh, the uh, Tails and Robotnik levels were absolutely abysmal. I don't know why you take a flying fox and you stick him in a robot that is slow, clunky, and can barely move around. But anyways, um, I think while uh, unadventurous and lacking in... um, Oh, God, my mind is so dull right now. Um, Lacking in... Give me the fucking word. Panache? Progress. No, not progress. Evolution? Uh, Evolution, sure, evolution. Evolution is a mystery! Lacking in evolution, uh, you know, this is probably the best move Sega can be making right now. Just stay with the, the tried and true until, you're, until your, your dwindling fan base gets sick of what you're doing and, you know, squeeze every... Because let's put it this way, are they really creating new Sonic fans or just going off of the old ones at this point? Uh, no, actually, I think this will probably... I, they're, they're definitely pleasing their Sonic fans, but I think this—I I think Sonic Mania in particular will bring. It will bridge that gap. It will bring lapsed Sonic fans back into the fold, uh, at least out of curiosity. It's not going to maybe. It but might not create new ones. That's the point, though. But, but, they, they are in borrowed time with how much they can get out of the Sonic characters. It's like Mario's creating new fans every every few years with the new games on, on a flagship console, so he doesn't have a console to do that anymore to really promote that character. Sure. They're, they're, well, it's, not, it's not the same. That's kind of the point that I'm making, too. They, they will make people happy with these games, but they're not they're not pushing the envelope. They're, sure. they're, they're not going to... It's not adventurous enough. They're not going to get Game of the Year for any future Sonic game. You know, they're not gonna, That's not going to happen. They're not going to have their version of Mario Galaxy that like shocks the world. It's like, holy shit, this is something different and special. And, mm-hmm. you know. All right. So, here's something odd. A uh, a poll reported that despite concerns over uh, price and motion sickness, VR purchase intent is high. Intent. Intent. So a poll stated that. Um, 
Among gamers who play for at least five hours a week, 74% said that they intend to purchase a VR device, while 60% said that they hope to get one as a gift. I actually kind of expected those numbers to be flipped a little bit. Um, in that console players are slightly more likely to purchase a uh, VR device at 75% than those on PC at 73%. Uh, if I had to guess why they would be higher on console, it's probably because they know that they can plug it into a console and play it and not worry about hardware mm-hmm. or specs or anything like that. Or, uh, or that's more geared towards gamers. Obviously, consoles, PC could be less mix of gamers, too. Sure. Um, What's interesting about this is, you know, the general consensus, at least among people I talk to, is that a lot of people are iffy on VR or they seem to don't care, but when uh, polled anonymously, it seems like there's a bit more deep-down excitement about this, at least just to try it out, um, than than people would say say publicly. I don't know why there would be this uh, inability to express excitement, just, just to be excited about something. Um, but continuing on, it seems like uh, RPG games are something that people are interested in playing in VR. Uh, stuff like Skyrim, I'm assuming. RPGs are maybe the last genre. What, nope. so I can read the menus like I'm really reading them? You're, like- not list- you're not letting me finish. I think they're talking about stuff like Skyrim. Oh, uh, okay. Like first-person RPGs uh, well, and things like that. Well, that's not really an RPG to me. It's more like an adventure game with RPG elements, but whatever. Go on. How is that not a role-playing game to you? It's an adventure game first, but go on. Uh, okay. Um... And then uh, sports games. That's uh, like saying Legend of Zelda is an RPG first. It's not. It's an adventure game first. Just because it's an RPG element doesn't mean it's... A- <laughs> you are fucking insane thinking that... Sky- you've you've never played Skyrim. I've seen enough gameplay footage to know that it's not a straight-out RPG. No. Okay. Go on. Go on. Argue in the comments. Any things I'm insane for thinking that... Do you read that games that have multiple genres attached to it? What? Games have multiple genres that are attached to it. Sure, but it's absolutely a role-playing game. All right, we're getting off topic. Okay. Anyways, uh, sports games were also of interest, which that was more surprising to me. Although, because um, I, I I just think that that's... I don't know. I find that interesting. Um, but... Uh, this is in spite of people who are concerned about motion sickness. I find it interesting that people would want to plunk down that sort of money, even with concerns about motion sickness and the fact that they might not be able to use this sort of expensive equipment at all. I, I mean, why would they... What would be the impetus there to, to purchase the equipment that that could very well be useless to them. Which is why I think this poll is, is bullshit. Well, because also, it's only 300 people. Well, well, that's enough. A sample size is a good idea, but obviously it's not like a 1,000, but 300 should be a pretty good one, depending on how, where the, the the cross-demographics information, I'd like to see that. But, um, yeah, I think this is this is like sort of a, oh, yeah, pie in the sky, I'll go out and buy one. But it, if these same people see reviews coming out saying, oh, I got motion sickness or this and that, they're going to be like, oh, I don't think so. Because that's a motion sickness is not good on these. I mean, there's there's always tales of people throwing up from demos of games. I think it was like Resident Evil 7. It was just off for some people just a little bit, and they people were like throwing up uh, with the VR demo. So, like, that's... It's got to be one-to-one exactly for VR not to make you sick. Yeah. Your mind doesn't know how to deal with it otherwise. I mean, I remember people even just watching Wolfenstein 3D on a computer in early 90s and getting sick. 
watching a first person. Yeah, first person stuff still makes Vani sick. I mean, she she tries to play Overwatch because she really wants to, but she can't handle it for very long. I mean, she she it just makes her it makes her ill. I mean, I she 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 can barely use the R stick without just like getting completely thrown off. So I think that's the big test. Let's see what happens after the first uh, holiday, you know, season and how many people get this and figure out that okay, this is going to be viable. It's, uh, I'm not going to get sick of this on my face. What does it say? Uh, 42% concerned about motion sickness. 41% said they're worried about spreading germs by sharing a VR device. I would never share my VR device. That sounds disgusting. All the sweat and snot that's going to get in there and <laughs> spit and everything else. Yeah. That sounds fucking awful. They, they had the... They better come with antibacterial wipes. They, they, they had the, the Resident Evil um, VR experience at uh, Comic-Con, and I was not... I would not go near that. I'm not a germaphobe in any way, shape, or form, but even that just seemed a little too gross for me. Yeah, it's going to be a combination of motion sickness. Can I wear this more than like than a half hour before you know I get into that zone where I take it off and I'm like dizzy for like ten minutes? You know, like there's a lot of factors of VR that um, I think are going to. I don't think it's ever going to be a huge success. I think it'll either be a moderate success or a moderate failure. I don't think it's ever going to be something that's always going to take off and 95 percent of gamers are going to use. I still maintain. I don't think even half the gamers are ever going to ever going to do it. Uh, but. I think you have to wait a year or two to see how it fleshes out and see how how much it latches on. Plus, the, that price point, you know, unless there can be a really cheap one for people, if it's like buying another console, I still think most people are going to shy away from that. Not not everyone has a thousand dollars to burn on a new console in NVR, you know, it sure. just doesn't make any sense to do that. Um, and but it's interesting. I was watching TV and I saw like a commercial for a VR device, I, I basically just a headset promoting that. You know, you plug your phone in and you get all these apps and everything. It was basically like you can buy them online, but seeing them get into the mass consumer market by having a you know TV commercial where you can order on your uh, on, on a telephone and you can buy a second get a second one for only five dollars more and it's like end of the day it's just a piece of plastic holding your phone with some some lenses inside. Oh, what what, it, what those are is it, it's Google cardboard. It's just it's sturdier. It's a plastic Google. Yeah, cardboard. This, look, this is a mass produced one. Which, yeah, and it had lenses on it, I guess, to help accentuate or. Well, whatever. Google cardboard has lenses on it too. So. So I mean, do you have any interest in getting this? Um, I have interest in VR, but I would never ever consider buying VR without giving it a full test run and seeing what the motion sickness. If I would experience motion sickness, like I would never buy this blindly. I think kind of like this study is insinuating, without absolutely knowing that um, I could do it without you know barfing everywhere. Right, we were half right. The genre of Skyrim, according to Wikipedia, is action role playing. That's the genre. So, all right. Or it's an action RPG. Venture action. There you go. <laughs> all right. New uh, new NX rumors that have been heavily sourced. Uh, well, heavily, even though we're not, like, coming out and saying the exact guy, right? We're just like, okay, we have our sources from before that have come through on it, so we think this is going to be true, too. But it sounds like this is picking up steam as a re- reliable. Um, so, the NX is been rumored and now almost confirmed that it's going to be the reverse of the Wii U, that it's going to be a handheld device that you can dock and play to your TV versus the opposite where it comes from your TV to a handheld unit or tablet that you hold, which is interesting, but it's a good direction because uh, the Wii U has done awfully. 3DS sales, 3DS has been out for a long time now, so those sales are dwindling. So this takes care of both of that. Right. Having a handheld uh, all-in-one unit, it's like, okay, you, you want a new 3DS? want a new Nintendo console, you got to get this. And I think everyone will just say, oh, this is the next step. It's a, it's a hybrid. It's all in one. 
don't need two versions of fucking game anymore like Smash Brothers. It's just going to be one, you know, like, and we're good to go. Get the same benefits of a, of a, of a handheld, but it's be more powerful, and plus you can play it as a console. Yeah, everyone wins. But people are getting a little bit scared, I think, by how this is going to look. Uh, one of these uh, images came out, a drawn sort of black and white image of, of having the handheld, which from the out, outlet looks like a Wii U tablet. Who knows about the actual side? We have no idea. It's got two thumbsticks. It has the four diagonal uh, regular push buttons. It has the, the crosshair on the left. But then there's a second image where both sides of the controller are detached as separate controllers. So you have one detached with a uh, with thumb j- joystick with the four buttons. And the, on the one on the left is a crosshair with the thumbs. So it's almost like, oh, this is now a different experience where maybe we can have two different players playing on the tablet separately. That's a little different, right? So- nah, I, this, this, this simply harkens back to the Wii control scheme, where you had a nunchuck in one hand and a Wii remote in another. But this is on a handheld, though. If, it's gonna be, if you're going to treat this as a handheld with separate controller functions, that's entirely different. No, what they're saying is you have two controllers that are attached, and this is your handheld. When you're using it as a console, it's hooked up to the TV, and these become your controllers. Okay, I'm looking at this as a potential to have two players playing something uh, separately on the same sort of device or computer. Kind of like having uh, how some people could use the, the Wii U tablet on, on a TV versus using a standard controller for two different games. But this is on the handheld, though. That's how I'm looking at it. But maybe it could be both. Maybe it could be both functions. Who knows? Uh, what I read was that it's a handheld that is a handheld, and then when you uh, dock it for your TV... Um, you basically take the controllers off the side, and these become your controllers, essentially acting as old-style Wii nunchuck and uh, Wii remote controllers. Which does that actually doesn't particularly thrill me. That's the one no, part that, that, that doesn't. That seems more like a gimmick to me than anything else. Um, well, I mean, I don't know what else you would do except for just include it. Well, you could just include a separate controller, obviously. Sure. Um, but Nintendo's always known for trying to do cost-cutting measures. And that could be one way of doing it. Um, I think this is a fantastic idea for Nintendo, and, and, and here there's a couple of reasons why. Um, one is that it completely eliminates the need for Nintendo to do two systems. Nintendo's always done best in their portable market. And while mobile phones have kind of filled that on the go, that truly on the go I need to kill some time on the bus um, market there's always that need for kind of a, a personal gaming experience and I'm sick and laying in bed gaming experience um, I'm on an airplane sort of thing uh, I'm at a convention I'm laying in bed um, I, I, there's definitely a market for it well, the three the 3DS sold very well during its lifespan. The, the sales are slowing, but the 3DS did very well. Um, I think something close to 50 million units. And I don't think there's any reason to think that another Nintendo handheld wouldn't do well. Um, this gives you the benefit of another Nintendo home console without Nintendo having to bank entirely on a home console and hope that they don't lose a ton of money on it. I think the biggest thing here is that you only have one library of games to worry about. And I think that's fantastic both for the consumer and for Nintendo themselves. Also for for developers, because a lot of developers 
would know went nowhere near the Wii U, but the 3DS, yeah, yeah, is actually selling and people are actually buying for that. So for them, even if we'll get into the tech on this, but even if this is not going to be as powerful as uh, you know the PS4, it obviously won't be as, as powerful as the whatever the Neo or the Project Scorpio. But even still, if they think they can sell games, they're going to develop for it. That's the bottom line. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, this this eliminates the need for, you know, a Mario Kart 7 and then a Mario Kart 8. This eliminates the need for Hyrule Warriors and then Hyrule Warriors Legends. Um, And to touch on what you said, uh, this is rumored to be using the NVIDIA Tegra chip, which is used in the NVIDIA Shield, which, uh, if you've ever seen what the NVIDIA Shield can output... It's not uh, unimpressive for a handheld, which is what the NVIDIA Shield is. Um, it's very impressive. And I think Nintendo has thrown in the towel, thankfully, on trying to keep up or compete with Sony and Microsoft on the consoles. And really, why would they? Well, why, do we, why do we need a third box that does the same exact fucking thing? They haven't tried that since the GameCube, though. So they haven't tried that. Well, no, the GameCube did. The GameCube arguably has better or exactly... They haven't this. tried it since oh, the GameCube. Okay. Yeah, so the Wii, they weren't going after it at all. They went in their own direction, no, obviously Wii U. I guess what I'm saying is everyone wanted them to, and they kind of imply that they might have tried to with this next system, but they're not, and they don't need to. And my whole point is, why do people want them to? Why do we need Why do we need I, another Sandy I just, box? I just want... I just want third-party support. That's probably what they want. They don't want to have to buy two different consoles. But Nintendo is now saying you have to buy two different consoles. This is going to be basically a handheld that's a super-powered handheld, but you're, they're not even going to try. doesn't mean that you're not going to have third-party support. It's just what and what form is going to come in. I guess it depends on the specs. Because even though, even if this is not... And who know, who the fuck knows? Obviously, for a new console, they might be developing a new chip for this. This, this isn't locked down yet. No, obviously. It'll be a few more months before this is locked down, probably. Uh, from what Couple I heard, they're announcing, they're announcing it in September. Yeah, so a right. month. So a month, two months, they'll lock it down. There's, there's probably dev kits already out, or, but they, those change to developers. You know, that's, not gonna, that's not locked down. So I think it, it comes down to the fact that, will this be powerful enough so that third-party developers can think they can develop for this while simultaneously developing... For the two main consoles, while getting some version on on Nintendo's console, won't be totally nerfed for the next I don't know three years or so, or four years. Like, is there enough power? I think there should be, especially since, well, there there has been third parties coming out saying they're excited about this. Then again, they said they're excited about the Wii U. EA said they're excited and they didn't support it. But who knows? But Take Two's uh, CEO said it could be very exciting. There's been comments from. Uh, uh, Square Enix, Level 5, Spike Chunsoft, Koei Tecmo, Bandai, Ubisoft, who supports Nintendo stuff. Activision, well, EA. So, but who Level knows? 5 has always supported Nintendo. I mean, but the big ones, though, like Activision, EA, are they going to stick around for it? That's the thing. That's the key. I don't know. But, like I said, if, if viewed more as a handheld than a console, I think it's highly likely that, yes, you will get some some third party support. I just like I I think we're 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 going to have to agree to disagree here. I don't think Nintendo needs to try to be the same thing as as Microsoft or so. Well, they're they're not. But but will it be powerful enough that ports can come over to the system? I think that's just the bottom line. Will will uh Rockstar think that yeah, I can put the Grand Theft Auto 6 on here or whatever in 3 4 years? Like, no, I don't think they will. 
remains to be seen because they're still not, they're, they're going to still have to support the Xbox One regular version and still have to support the regular PS4. Oh, that's and, true. And if, the, and if, and if the, the NX is slightly less powerful or could be as powerful, why not put it on there too? Especially since people are saying that the port them over is going to be very, very simple. That's, that's what the that's word was. That's fair enough. So fair. we'll have to see. I think that's the key. I think Nintendo realized that if we can even get some of those games, they don't get all of them. If we get, all you got to do is get the, get the new sports titles. Get the newest sports titles every year. Get the NBA 2K games. Get the Madden games on there. That'll get some people, that'll have people say, okay, I don't have to buy the PS4 then for that. I can just get it on, on the, the NX. And it'll be portable on top of that? We'll have to see, we'll have to see the final specs. That's just the bottom line. We, right. do, we do know that it's going to be more powerful than the Wii U, obviously. How much more powerful? I don't know. I am disappointed, though, that if they go to whatever version of cartridge is going to be, whatever 3DS cartridge or whatever, to hold these games, uh, that means no backwards compatibility. That, to me, is sort of a a sucker punch just to people that bought the uh, the Wii U in the past year or two, though. That to me is, is a shame, and it also means to me that they don't give a shit about Wii U software sales going forward. That come next year, why why push the Wii U software then at that point? Since you're not selling consoles anymore, basically, you're not going to be selling anything. I think that's the sacrifice they have to make. But if... they're cutting it off like that. Like it's not even like dwindling. It's going to be like okay, not it's not backwards compatible. So fuck your old library. Basically, why even focus on that? Because who's gonna? How many people are gonna set up two Nintendo consoles with the same TV? Some people will, not a lot of people. The same people who have a PS3 set up in a PS4. So, in the wake of the NES Classic Edition, we had a lot of people on Twitter say, "Well, this is Sega responding to it with their own version, which would be the Sonic 25th Anniversary uh, Plug and Play." It is Sega responding, but in probably the weakest way they possibly can, uh, by taking a product that's been out for, what, two years now? I think two years now. Um, and basically slapping it into a different box, putting the 25th anniversary logo on it, adding one more Sonic game to it, which I think is 3D Blast, one that no one cares about, and uh, in the process, removing... Uh, adding a couple other games to it, and then removing such games as, like, the entire Streets of Rage series, which makes absolutely no sense, uh, since those are well, well-loved games. Um, so let's go over, I guess, the, is there a list then confirmed? Because this is the at games list I have in front of me about what's out and in. Okay. Oh, yeah, they're getting rid of basically all the games you'd want to play from the classic Sage. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, get rid of, they're getting rid of Flicky? Uh, Echo, uh, they're getting rid of, yes, like Ian said, the Streets of Rage trilogy. Uh, Virtual Fighter 2 is gone. Uh, but in your place, uh, you're getting some decent stuff in its place. You're getting Eternal Champions. Uh, you're getting... Uh, oh, Flicky. Oh, Flicky's in. He's going to be in. It's okay. out, but it's also in. Uh, you're going to get Fantasy Star 2 and 3. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Sonic 3D Blast, Sword of Vermilion. Um... Yawning Triceratops. Not sure what that game is. So these these at games um, Sega consoles, if you didn't know, apparently have um, about forty actual Genesis games, and then about forty. I don't know if they're clones or homebrews or what, but they have forty games that were actually not on the Sega Genesis to begin with at all. So. Um, this is an attempt to compete with it, obviously, uh, a rebranding and a horrible attempt 
at um, saying, uh, us two guys, uh, we can do this. And uh, I believe it'll be at a cheaper price point. I believe that these were sold at 40 um, The one nice thing about these uh, consoles is they have um, a cartridge slot that does run uh, actual Genesis cartridges. Um, Unfortunately, the compatibility on these is pretty poor. Um, if I remember correctly, it has roughly the compatibility of the uh, Sega Genesis 3, which is not particularly good at all. And it uses infrared controllers, which are abysmal. If you ever use those wireless controllers from the 90s, well, they're running on the same technology so, and they're just as reliable. So there's no ports for their own Genesis controllers? I believe there are, but it's not what it comes packed with stock. Oh, okay. Yeah, those are going to be garbage for the most part. So there's 80 games, but only 40 are games people are actually going to want to play for the most part. Um, so just running through, you got got uh, Alex Kidd and Shaden Castle, Alien Storm, let's see. Uh, Shotgun, The Forever Man, that's an interesting choice. Columns, E-SWAT, Flicky, Golden Axe 1, 2, and 3, Fantasy Star 2 and 3, Shadow Dancer, Shinobi 3, Sonic and Knuckles, uh, the first two Sonic, Sonic 3D Blast, Vector Man 1 and 2, uh, three Mortal Kombat games, kind of surprising, get all three on there. And then some of the games that are just thrown on there, because these are the games that you find on your default uh, Chinese handheld you buy overseas, uh, you know, you have stuff like uh, Adventure in the Park and Memory. Dominant Amber. Air Hockey. Spider. Naval Power. Not Battleship, probably, but Naval Power. Uh, Brain Plum- Switch. Plumbing Contest. Brain Switch, and, and it's heralded sequel, Mega Brain Switch. Hide and seek. So these are games that they, they really shouldn't pump it up with eighty. When people are saying, "Oh, there's going to be eighty games on this," they're not. They're not Genesis games, though. I still want to know what Yawning Triceratops is. I think we have to buy this just to see what Yawning Triceratops is. <laughs> Next time one comes into the store, because they do come into the store all the time in boxes full of trade-ins. I'm like, I can't give you anything for this, and they're like, "Eh, just take it anyways." I, I like the name of some of these games, like, um, let's see, Whack a Wolf. So that's a complex whack-a-mole game, except maybe the wolf comes after you. Yeah. Snake, you know, Mr. Balls, and Fight or Lose. Well, hold on. How do we miss this one? Meatloaf rotation. Is it, is it, is it cooking, or are you actually taking the singer Meatloaf and putting him on a spit and, and turning him? I'm guessing someone tried to make a Tetris so, clone and couldn't get the graphics so, right. So many questions, so little answers about that, this console. But yeah... This will this will sell fine, but it's not Sega's response. It's repackaging their old old stuff, or At Games is repackaging at least. So, Nintendo has announced a new book called "Playing with Power: Nintendo NES Classics." And uh, you know that company Prima? They do the strategy guides. Yes, uh, they, they're still around. I guess they must still sell them because they're one of the few strategy guide makers around. The few times I go into GameStop, they're always pushing them with new releases. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, this is going to come out uh, about the same time as the NES uh, Classic Edition. I think roughly the same time. Oh, November 18th. You can pre-order on Amazon. Playing with power Nintendo NES Classics. Uh, the book looks like, the Ninten- looks like a Nintendo cartridge, which is pretty cool. And it's going to come with a slipcase. An embossed slipcase like it's a game, like a giant game, which is a pretty cool idea. It's going to be uh, over 300 pages. It's going to cover a retrospective of 17 NES Classics which, if you count the games on the NES Classic Edition, there's about 17 first-party titles. So you'd think that those are going to be the same ones to sort of tie in with the NES Classic Edition. Makes sense. Interviews and commentary from Nintendo visionaries who pioneered the era of gaming. See, that's what's cool to me. Because anyone can come out with an NES book, 
But are you actually going to get like Miyamoto to sit down and do an interview and have it all nice, or uh, anyone else at Nintendo? Hell, some of these people probably either no one's interview or you know who knows who worked on some of these games like you know thirty years ago. You know, maybe some artists you know get their work in there. And there's going to be uh, advertising and excerpts from Nintendo Power magazine back issues. That to me is super cool. Just because from time to time people ask me, "Hey Pat, why don't why doesn't some, someone come out with a book?" of, like, stuff from old Nintendo Powers. Well, copyright, that's why you can't really do it. You can't just reprint old Nintendo Power magazines. Right. You can't, really you can't just lift it directly as we talked. Uh, well, actually, we didn't, but um, okay, as, as certain things have, have been canceled, uh, it's not transformative enough. Uh, and so, showcase of vintage advertising and priceless excerpts from Nintendo Power Magazine back in and then hand-drawn maps. Yeah, see, that's Character something that game really... environment art and much more. So if you have someone that gets The Legend of Zelda, like, the original, like, drawn like sprites or that would be fucking priceless to see that in a book it's all the supplemental material that really um entices me this and i normally don't buy big coffee table books but this is actually something that i might buy uh so it's prima games uh it's gonna come out uh 320 pages november 18th so it's very interesting and now you kind of know why we didn't speak about this before about the uh, nes uh visual compendium which got uh, temporarily shut down uh, by Nintendo on Kickstarter for a couple of weeks, and then brought back. They actually allowed it to finish. Oh, really? Uh, it, it got funded. I want to say probably at least a quarter million dollars. It got funded. I had no idea um, they. Allowed so it basically, finish. didn't want to speak at the time just because. Well, there's a. I got book. Didn't feel like. Wasn't wishing ill will on the book. Just that there were differences between that book and mine. But Nintendo came out against that book originally. Now you kind of know why. Because they have their own book coming out, which is going to do something probably similar in a lot of a lot of respects, at least for the first party titles. So, because the NES uh, Visual Compendium uh, is being put out, that's covering I think roughly a hundred games, not just Nintendo first party, but in- obviously you have to include, in- obviously you have to include Nintendo first party games if you're doing a book about the NES because that's a chunk of the most famous games. So that book was heavily visual and with a little bit of text, and Nintendo basically said, eh, "It's not enough fair use for us." Plus, uh, in advertising, they were using the seal of quality, right, uh, which really turned Nintendo off. And so you can understand Nintendo didn't want to be confused in the marketplace with their own book coming out. And if you look at Nintendo's book on the cover, they have a seal quality on theirs. So they worked it out, though. Uh, thankfully, Nintendo worked it out with the people doing the uh, NES uh, visual compendium. And uh, so people will be able to get all these books. So I don't think Nintendo was being too much of an asshole. They want to make sure that, yeah, they don't want confusion in the marketplace. I mean, that's one of the things with copyright and trademark is that you don't want someone to get away with selling a product that they think is the official one. And it's like, that's not good. See, this can't be confused <clears throat> with Nintendo's book or the visual companion because this is covering all 800 games. And this is a book Nintendo would never ever put out. Because why, why would Nintendo put out a book uh, reviewing, I don't know, Lethal Weapon on the NES? I don't think they'd ever do that. A certain so. book can never be confused <laughs> with a normal book. <laughs> Especially due to the weight on it. So this is exciting. Um, I'll probably get this book. Uh, it's for pre-sale right now. Uh, looks like oh, $27. Oh, wow. But the list price is forty-five. So, is there any anything you want to see in particular? Any old art from like I don't know, like Kid Icarus seeing originally drawn maps? Yeah, I want to see that. Items? I want to see Zelda two maps more than anything. Oh, that could be on here. Yeah, I wonder if they're going to. I really want to see. I wonder if they're going to just stick with with art from the seventeen games that are probably featured on the NES Classic Edition here, or kind of veer off. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, but it basically this is a tie-in product. Uh, uh, they're calling it a veritable love letter to Nintendo fans. God, I hate that term, love letter. It's used so often. I, I just, I just think it's funny that there was nothing, nothing, nothing. All of a sudden, we want to cover the NES with two products. It just seems, this yeah, seems weird. It to me. is. 
So, speaking of the NES Classic Edition, uh, a user on YouTube named Daft Mike put out a video. He's been playing it for a while. It's just coincidental. Uh, he did his own mini NES Classic console, which is basically, from the outside, it's a mini NES. Yeah, it's 3D printed. 3D printed console, and inside you have the good old Raspberry Pi, and it's running uh, RetroPie which is, I guess, the front end that an emulator is installed uh, to play all your games we, we, we've seen. We used so it before we, uh, during it, a convention. Yeah. yeah. So it's cute because the timing was the same timing, so we figured oh, I'm going to put out the early version of it. So the difference between this and, obviously, an NES Classic Edition, where it only has 30 games built in, this has all the games that are preloaded onto this. This is what's kind of unique and cool and kitschy about this, but will never, ever happen. Nintendo would never do this. So... And, and we'll get into why. He also did 3D printing of mini NES cartridges, which are cute. They have the labels on them and everything else. Um, so using an NFC, I guess, scanner, reader, uh, it puts the phone to the cartridge, puts the cartridge into the console, and the console plays that game you put in. So basically it's an instruction on the cartridge telling the RetroPie what game to play, what game to launch. Yep. And he did it for not just... NES games, I believe I saw in the video, he did one for uh, Pokemon Red. Uh, basically, any any ROM, uh, he could put any any ROM. Um, uh, technically, if he wanted to put a Turbo Graphics game sure. on that uh, Pokemon Red cartridge, it would load it up. But yeah, it's adorable. It has a little door. Um, the power button and the reset button work as they should. And he had a stack. Mario 1, Mario 2, Mario 3, Zelda. And you put the cartridge in. It even pushes down, which I thought was adorable. That's With cute. the proper spring loading, it touches it to the NFC portion of the uh, the NFC reader. You hit power, and it loads up just as it should. And he even made these adorable little mini NES yeah, that, which was probably the most questionable part about it because, yeah, you want to keep it all mini, but you can't really play platform as well on a little mini controller. No. Or Mike Tyson's punch out. It might be tough to do that. But people were like, oh, this is what Nintendo should have done. Okay, let's pump the brakes here a bit. You do really want Nintendo to re release old software on physical media again. Do you really want to go that far? <laughs> let's think about that. Think about who actually wants that. Collectors want that. And that's it. That's where it sort of begins and ends there. Uh, because you're going to pay a huge premium, not just for Nintendo to then produce the cartridges. They're not 3D printing them to be mass produced. They'll be probably a little bit cheaper. They have to get the licensing first, if it's not a first party game. they got to get the, the licensing to do the artwork for the, for the cartridge. They have to get all that. Then they have to get their NES Mini and put all the technology in there in order to load the cartridge and play it. That's going to add cost. They have to, or in this case, if you have all the software loaded on here already and all the games, that means they have to pre-license all the games that are going to be included for this to basically activate the game. So they couldn't do that. Or maybe they could. Which basically means you'd be paying not $60 for your uh, little mini NES. You'd probably be paying $300 to get all these games pre-loaded on it. And then to have cartridges activate them. Because you're paying for licensing of hundreds of games. Contrary-wise, I think they, they could... I don't know if they would, but all you have to do is look at the Amiibo craze. Um, I think people would pay... I mean, let's look at it this way. If they're charging $5 a ROM for Virtual Console and people are doing it, and they're charging $13 for an Amiibo, I think someone would pay $13. And as far as I can tell, 
and maybe I'm wrong, but you should be able to do this the reverse way of the way he did it. You should be able to put the ROM on the actual cartridge and have the NFC reader read the ROM, load it into the system, and play it. Do you, um, do you really think these would be only $13 in store if Nintendo, if Nintendo came out with cartridges with I, games on it? I think they could do it for 15 What did the Game Boy Advance re-releases cost? Uh, the Game Boy Advance re-releases are seven ninety nine. No, when, when, when you actually bought the cartridges back in the day. Oh, they were forty nine ninety thirty nine ninety nine. But I'm just saying, Nintendo could technically do it, and they could do it without without the the price going to the moon. I'm saying that back then they didn't have a virtual console to do it on. But it was the same premise, though. It was software that preexisted fifteen years before Metroid, Donkey Kong, and they're slapping it on a cartridge on a physical and, cartridge that costed more. Before the virtual console existed and before Nintendo kind of embraced this ROM thing, NFC is a lot cheaper. Now, I'm not saying that they should do it or they would do it. I'm just saying I don't think it would necessarily be as expensive as you're thinking it would be. I think it would be because they have to, again, they have to go back and license these games for this. It's, I don't think it's as simple as, okay, we already have this license. We can automatically put it in a cartridge. They've got to probably renegotiate all that, too. Oh, I'm not arguing, I'm not arguing with you about I, third-party games. I'm just yes. saying if they wanted to do it with first-person with, oh, with yeah, first first games. Oh, yeah, first-party, they can do whatever the hell they want. Yeah, I'm saying first-party games, it would be a cute idea. Sure. Um, but, yes, obviously... If we're just looking at the NES Classic and we're looking at third-party games, yeah, obviously this is. I'm not saying yes. It's out of it's out of the realm of possibility. I just don't think if they wanted to do it with say first-party games, it would be as expensive as you're thinking. I would I would be looking at a twenty-dollar price point. I, I think that's what Nintendo would probably shoot as, for and probably get it. Seeing as how people are are, are paying thirteen dollars for amiibos that have yet to really do much of goddamn anything, I think I think there are people out there who would pay twenty for a, yeah, little, a cute for little Mario game. cartridge. Sure. Yeah. And, and they put a little box in it, maybe a mini instruction book. I don't know. Okay, that uh, would be fucking adorable. I'd pay twenty dollars. Thank you. For that. So you're the idiot who would buy pay twenty dollars. I would I would do and that. that's why it's not a good idea because if you had to get all those thirty NES uh, games on the classic edition in cartridge form on it, you're paying hundreds of dollars for it. Okay. Okay, fair and enough. most people wouldn't do that. But again, yeah, they, for Tech Mobile, they have to probably go back and renegotiate that. Then it's not just okay, we're giving you the license for it now. Oh, maybe we want a cut of that, right? For every cartridge sold, and Nintendo's like, okay, then we got to mark the price up. Obviously, then you go to a retailer, and the retailer has to have a markup, the same any, as any other product. And an Amiibo, I don't know. How, I actually don't know how those Amiibos are that cheap, maybe because they're, they're making millions of them. Right, they have a great deal. Who knows? But do I like this idea? Yeah, I just think this would, this wouldn't ever sell. I think to the mainstream. Like that, but oh, that is a, that little mini controller is adorable. It actually works though, but it's no, so that's, funny. that's the it, biggest. It's fly. funny because it's, it's as big as his thumb, the whole controller. So it's like he's trying to play Rad Racer on it. Oh yeah, he was, <laughs> he's just like, and he, he appeared to be doing fairly well at Rad Racer at that. So, uh, yeah, then he throws a, yeah he throws the Pokemon Red in there, which is actually looks pretty cute on a cartridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it goes, it pops down. Looks like you don't have to turn the power on and off. The power is just on. You just put the cartridge in and. No, he actually oh, no, hits oh, power. Oh, he re-hits it. Okay, the red light doesn't go off. It, no, but he hits on. power, and then if you just tap reset, it resets the game. If you hold it down, it powers off the system, or if you hold it down, it powers it on. He goes to his phone. He puts in the record to add to tell it to play GBA. Okay, it's, inter- it's interesting. Pie in the sky. A raspberry pie in the sky. All, All right. Spit water. So I, I, I'm a big... Uh, Sort of big uh, uh, esports TV watcher now. You're sort of a big proponent. Yeah, oh of yeah, ones that are watchable. A- a- after watching the awful Heroes of the Dorm, then watching uh, Evo, Street Fighter Five, and I checked out the E League 
CSGO Finals on TBS. So you actually found this enjoyable? I did find it enjoyable, Ian. I'll tell you about it. So, uh, it was, the final was uh, Virtues Pro, and they defeated uh, Fnatic with an F. Five on five, CSO, CS uh, Go, Counter-Strike, Global Offensive. It's not just for gambling, you actually play a game. And uh, it's basically, I guess, the terrorist versus counter-terrorist, and you have to plant the bomb. Uh, that's the objective. That's how these, these teams go. So it's not just deathmatch. You know, if you do kill all five, you, you'll win. Um, but if you plant the bomb, you know, and you defend it or whatever, then you're fine. Anyway, so it was interesting because the comment, the commentating was very spot on about strategies, teams going to A points versus B points, because you can usually go to two different points to try to defend or attack on these maps. It was interesting to note they were, like, in between rounds for my very limited counter uh strike experience about purchasing weapons in between rounds and how that how that plays into it making sure you don't drop an item for other team to pick up because it could be valuable to give to your teammate uh, make sure you have enough money maybe conserve it for one round to make sure the next round you have enough money to buy more powerful weapons automatic weapons or stunt rifle. there's a lot of strategy that goes into that portion that they did a good job explaining but then also explaining you know just the general strategies of waiting behind or calling out uh, you know, uh, where enemies were or where you're going to be. Obviously, you don't know what they're actually saying to players. You don't hear that. The only thing you're watching, you're, you're watching what's called the Observer, uh, I guess, Observer stream, where um, it'll go back and forth between different uh, different players, their first-person perspective, and then every once in a while you'll see an overhead view of the map and all the players moving. But what's cool about uh, the Observer stream or, or Observer view is that you can see where all the characters are. You can see like their silhouettes through walls and everything. So you can you know where the other players are. So you're not totally blind if you're watching from one person's first person perspective because you if they're looking in a direction, you can kind of see where the other players are, teammates and not. Uh, so it, that's the way to get around it. Otherwise, you need a split screen of like ten different players, and that'd be impossible. That's that's also the the, the, the limitation though is that when there's ten players alive or even seven or eight. You kind of don't know what's going on. You're just following the action of one player for, say, 10, 12 seconds at a time, then someone will, will switch the camera to go to another player. And obviously, if you're, you're killed off, it'll go to another player. So there are limitations to that, but the commentating, I thought, was, was very spot on. TBS did a great job uh, talking about the experiences of these teams in the past because it's an entire league. They follow a whole season of these teams playing against each other. It's not just one event like, you know, EVO where that's it. Go for it. So they've, I, guess, I guess they have a chance to, to hone... Their, uh, their skills in terms of presenting this and commentating on it um, and then knowing what the teams do or not. And plus, these are teams that have been around forever. I believe that uh, the team that won Virtues Pro has been around for, for a long time. And I think one of the players has been around for maybe like over, over 10 years or 10 years or so. It's on the team, I believe. So, it was interesting. So, uh, as someone who has always said you never liked Counter-Strike, is this just kind of the example of like you don't have to like playing football to well, watch it? Well, it's a, at the end of the day, it's a first-person shooter. Right. I mean, not that I, well, is Counter Strike Go that much different than regular Counter Strike? From what I understand, no. But not I'm, really. I've never really played either of them. Okay. Well, I, okay. I didn't hate Counter Strike when I played it for whatever that was that month period way back then. It just, it just didn't. I didn't like it as much as playing, I guess, the quote unquote more realistic games. Which was what you liked, Rainbow Six, like Rainbow Six, Rogue Spear, stuff like that. Where it's like if you're going to go full realism, go full realism, not be able to jump still 10, 12 feet in the air. You know, it was a weird sort of middle ground of realism uh, that Counter Strike tries to try to skate on that edge and I just never never liked it personally. Was Rogue Spear that Blake Stone game? Blake Stone where you shoot off the guy and his <laughs> leg falls off and he goes, he goes Manic, no, Sphere of Destiny was a sequel to Wolfenstein. <laughs> yeah, Blake Stone and the Sphere of Destiny. Blake Stone was the guy in space, I thought. Yeah, they did two of them. 
Blake Stone was the guy in space. I was Fear just making a joke about an awful Witch game. Still. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Fear of Destiny was a sequel, I thought. It, Maybe. They're both awful. You remember he's on the cover with shirtless? Like, yeah, with, yeah, with yeah, yeah. Hiding me. Yeah, yeah I remember. Yeah. Yes. Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> I got thrown off here. So the ratings came in, and it actually did pretty well. Not for the finals. This is, the, I think, before the finals. Uh, the previous one did 271,000 uh, viewers across live and time-shifted viewing, which is actually not bad, for I think, for eSports. Um, and that was compared to uh, the Evo Championships that did 201,000 earlier in the month. So that's a good chunk above. Uh, so I guess I guess there's something to be said about, again, I don't think this will ever catch on totally, but if it's going to happen, it's going to be fighting games or first-person shooters. I still think it's going to be that. Uh, and the Madden NFL Championship, I never actually saw that advertised, but that was on ESPN2 in June. I didn't even see that or hear about that, surprisingly. you think ESPN2 would probably push that. Uh, maybe next year. So, any thoughts, Ian? Would you ever want want to sit down and watch one, or would you rather just watch the Twitch stream, which most people would probably want to watch? No, I don't think I would watch a first... I, well, no, I would watch a first-person shooter out of curiosity. I just don't think it would hold my interest necessarily. Um, maybe one that I was actively involved in, like if they found a good way to um, allow people to spectate something like Overwatch. Uh, the, the sort of gameplay like CSGO doesn't really uh, interest me. I think Overwatch is coming up on EU League, I believe. I saw that. Oh, then so I, w- that I would probably watch future. that. We're going to set something up for that, so there you go. You can watch it on TBS, on that old-fashioned big boob tube. Real quick on... I feel like we have to cover Star Trek Beyond. Um, <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> Star Trek Beyond had one of the worst teaser trailers in, in history. Yeah, it was awful. That we, we spoke about, what was that, like last December, uh, which was... Motorcycles. Beast, motorcycles and Beastie Boys uh, sabotage, <laughs> which is a great song, but did not fit. Which shows up in the movie, actually, but it actually makes sense. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll do mi- mild spoilers here. So, Star Trek Beyond got good reviews. This is the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. Uh, co-written by Simon Pegg, who plays Scotty in these movies, does a great job. This, to me, was the... Have you seen the other movies? No, I've seen okay. none of them, and I don't care what you spoil personally for okay. me. This was, to me, the best out of these three new ones. The first two were uh, done by J.J. Abrams, and the um, second one was really shaky uh, into darkness because it was a remake of Wrath of Khan with the Khan character. Spoilers, the movie's been out for like three years. Um, with the same plot beats, though. So, to me, it was lazy. You had the Khan yelling, but now it was done by Spock and not Kirk. Kirk dies instead of Spock, but they bring him back. It was just, it was like so just lazy that you had to fall back on the the most famous Star Trek film, arguably the best one, and then use the same plot points for it. And it's also the second Star Trek new film. Right. It's just, it's just left a bad taste in my mouth. And honestly, I, forget, I remember nothing about it. I honestly don't. So, what was better about Star Trek Beyond is that the plot was straightforward. It's not spoilers, in the first 20 minutes, the ship gets destroyed. And they have to find their way off of this planet. That was it's an old trip. That, that was an old trip. Yeah. So, um, it's more character driven. You have a lot of good moments. Uh, finally, Carl Urban gets to shine as Bones. Uh, a lot of the best moments in the film are him and his interaction with with um, with Spock, which was you know a throwback to how the interaction between those two characters, how they hate each other. At least uh, Bones hated Spock in the original movies. So that was all well done. Uh, Kirk's character was his sort of like, oh, I'm just like this arrogant young kid. 
was finally downplayed were the fact that, hey, Kirk was actually a pretty good leader and knew what he was doing. Nice. And I think in the first two movies, especially the first one because he was just starting out as a snot-nosed kid, but even the second one, it's sort of like, he was almost like too much seat of my pants, like no one ever give you the captain's chair on a ship acting like that. Like it was just <laughs> like, no, you're too unpredictable. and too. So in this one, he acted more grounded. He still, there was still action. You can't get away with these movies. These are modern movies. You're going to have to have action in a Star Trek movie. We know that. But there were a lot of smaller character moments and dialogue in between the vroom vroom stuff, which I'll get into that in a second, was, which I was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Uh-huh. It actually kind of made sense in the context. Okay. Minor spoilers about that. <laughs> they found, they find that dirt bike motorcycle... <laughs> on another ship. So it was not from a replicator. It was on a much, much older ship that happened to be abandoned that they find it on. Still kind of dumb, but they it's not as dumb as having it on the Enterprise or being a replicator. Okay, okay, that's the worst part of the film. But still, that was not as bad as I thought. The only bad part about that sequence was the CG moment leading up to it, or like it goes from like behind perspective, third person uh, of Kirk on the uh, the bike with the that white um, alien female who, who her character was better than I thought from the trailers. Her character wasn't uh, simply a Gamora ripoff. There was some a little bit of depth to it. That was the only bad CG of the movie where it was like riding behind it and it looked so bad, <laughs> like bumping on the rocks. So uh, the only I'd say the worst part of the film was uh, not the villain Crawl played by Idris Elba. Uh, he did the best with what he had, but the the character was so underdeveloped in the motivations that it was one of those things where it was like. You either go it and do it not at all with motivation, just have him be just sort of a guy out for blood and wants to destroy everything. Right. Or you have to explain it more up front. Because with this, they explain it like 80% into the movie. By that point, it's like, it's too late to get into evil uh, character motivations. You have to do that way earlier. They hit it. I think they wanted to be, they wanted like some sort of shock value, which I don't think ever, they didn't earn the shock value. It was like very mild. It's like, okay, that's a cool little twist, but it still didn't explain enough. Without giving away, it didn't explain enough for the motivation besides just that. Or, or how, let's just say, how Crawl gets all his minions to to fight for him, like his little army. Like, it didn't really explain enough of that. It sort of just, it, it, was, it was almost like they cut out like 10 minutes of film just dealing with the villain. Other than that, though, I thought it was great. Uh, I, it's unfortunate that the second weekend it's dropped off the earth, like 60% drop off of the box office, which is not a good sign. They announced a fourth movie and they should be able to do a fourth movie just because, I mean, they'll make the money up on DVD and merchandise and Blu-ray that they should. It's just that it's a shame though that I think it was more of a case of this isn't really to me a traditional summer movie. It's almost like this could have done better either earlier, like in March or like November, December, where it had more room to breathe. Not like you know, you have Jason Borg coming out the week later, which is going to destroy it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this isn't to me... You don't think of Star Trek as a summer movie, usually. Even though these other ones have come out in the summer. I just feel like, I mean, you don't really need to worry about it. Star Trek movies are going to be made perpetually. Unless they bomb. Which is, you know, which is why they had they weren't made for, you know, seven years. You sure. know, you know with, with Star Trek Nemesis, which wasn't as awful as I thought when I rewatched it. Uh, the last the, the last Next Generation movie. Yeah. That wasn't as awful. Still wasn't good. Wasn't as awful. Uh, I'm more excited about the new Star Trek uh, series coming out in, uh, I think, January is going to be the first episode already. I'm really excited about that. Oh, that's coming up. So, Ian, you're not going to see this anytime soon, but if you, uh, these are still worth seeing, these new ones. They're interesting. Uh, in terms of the Sulu stuff, real quick, since we spoke about it before, it, it wasn't jarring, the Sulu stuff, but it still was like 
a sore thumb just in terms of not to give too much away, like where Sulu meets up with his, uh, with his uh, I guess husband or boyfriend and their kid. It would have made it wouldn't have been as jarring if other characters were meeting up with their families. Like it was just he was the only person on the entire crew that happened to meet up with his family. Mm. So it's just sort of like, okay, like, and it, <laughs> I have to get this away because it was sort of like okay. The scene, you see the character twice, but it was like Kirk noticing, like, it was, they get to this they get to this space station, or he meets up with them, and Kirk just happens to see Sulu, like, walking away with, with arm around his boyfriend with the kid, and it's like, alright, but then Kirk gives this, like, like, look back it was just sort of like, almost like the the uh, the writers were sort of like, high-fiving each other for that moment, it's just like, it was unnecessary to see Kirk be like I acknowledge you and your same-sex family. It was just sort of like, not. That's what it was like. Okay, you could just show it without. You could have done it far more naturally. Yes, it wasn't natural. That's what I'm trying to get. It wasn't natural. Okay. Other than that, though, you know everything else kind of flowed well. But and and all the characters got something to do. Right. Uh, uh, Even uh, Uhura uh, got something to do. Um, Well, all the movies the characters something to do, but they made sure that in a movie like this, where you have like seven different main characters, everyone did something. Uh, and Chekhov had a lot of good, good, uh, uh, good screen time. And rest in peace to the actor who passed away. That really bummed me out. Even seeing that probably bummed me out the most. Like watched that movie the whole time. I was like, guy, guy died tragically. Uh, what's his name? Anton. Uh, what's his name? Anton Yelkin. Yeah, very tragic. But they, they already said though they're not going to recast him. They're just going to have to write him out of the fourth one, which is probably the right thing to do. Yeah. So, let's talk about a couple of DC movie universe trailers. We're just, we're just haters. We're just haters. Not, so not David Hater. <laughs> um, so let's start with the Justice League Comic Con trailer. Um, so I, I still don't think anyone really knows where Zack Snyder stands on this. Um, there, there's 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 rumors. There's speculation. I think he's locked in his trailer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, looking at the the, the actual movie trailer. Um, I I, I kind of get the impression that he is. Well, it's Comic Con special Comic Con footage, right? Not, a N- not really a trailer, but they released it on YouTube. Um, it was interesting. Uh, it definitely had levity that um, prior Snyder production trailers uh, did not. So, I mean, basically, this this Comic Con footage that they showed. Um, was basically uh, Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne going around and kind of trying to recruit members to the Justice League, basically introducing himself. It, basically, it's a, it's a it's an introduction to yeah. the characters, well, to Cyborg, to the Flash, to Aquaman, mm-hmm. uh, him bantering with Wonder Woman, uh, and obviously there is no uh, spot with Superman. Um, I uh, enjoyed the part with Barry Allen. I thought that was actually pretty good. The Flash, um, played by what? Ezra Miller. Uh, I'm actually, and I'm, I mean, this is going to surprise a lot of people. I'm actually warming up to Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. We'll get to that uh, in a little bit. Um, I, uh, I, I'm sad to say, at least as of what I saw, not quite as into the vision of Aquaman. Uh, as I as I thought I might be, um, although I, I I just I need to see more of it. Um, overall, I, I I didn't think it was awful, but I didn't think it was great because it it doesn't really show anything. 
it, it, there, there was really nothing there. Um, yeah. It doesn't it doesn't tell you anything about the movie. It's it's a bunch of. I almost feel like they went overboard with 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 the jokiness of it. Um, I do think Batman. I, I do. I, I I am I am still further intrigued by Affleck's Batman. Uh, I I have no bones about saying that I am interested in seeing an Affleck Batman movie. I do think he uh, from this the, the the takeaway for me from this trailer is I am definitely interested in seeing Affleck play a Bruce Wayne and play a Batman outside of Snyder's grasp, outside of Batman vs Superman. I very very much am and. Uh, Fuck all of you. Um, <laughs> I am very much interested in that. Mm-hmm. So that that's my big takeaway. Um, but there's still basically nothing known about this. Uh, and I will say this. I think a lot of the outfits look like shit. I think Cyborg's oh. outfit looked like garbage. I thought the Flash's outlet, outfit looked like garbage. You didn't like the I, Flash armor? I, I feel like... Was I feel like everything needs to look like Michael Bay Transformers or the, that Power Rangers bullshit. It's it's like everyone took one look at Iron Man's suit and decided that they all had to copy Iron Man's suit in some way, shape, or form. I just think it's interesting that the, the Flash TV outfit looks better than the one in the yeah, movie. Yeah, absolutely. And it's almost like they had to go, oh, we can't do the one from the TV, but we got to do something that much different. No, the TV outfit like, looks way better. They had to differentiate it, I guess, for no real reason. I'm yeah. still upset that they that they felt the need to splinter off the TV universes it's in the fucking in the, stupid in the movie universes. Now I got to see things on Twitter. Well, we cast a new Superman. Oh, it's a TV Superman for the Supergirl. That's not, you know, it's just like, come on, man. You couldn't lay something out. You couldn't do that and have the. I feel bad for the. I feel bad for the TV Flash. I really do because everyone says he does a good job. Yeah, you so couldn't throw him in here. I, I, I've heard for a CW TV show, it's it's fantastic. It's almost like they want to they want to keep the lower budget, lower budget, you know, TV. But it's not even that lower budget anymore. They have the Arrow and stuff. They have the, they have good effects. They're not just movie level effects. But look at Agent of Shield. They do stuff. I mean, so what's you know? your takeaway on, on on I mean the footage? I mean, is it similar I think to mine? This I mean, is heavily counter Zack Snyder. Like this is Affleck yes. saying this is my show. Maybe that's why they had him in most of the footage. Yeah. But... <laughs> I, I here's the thing I I have not seen Affleck's portrayal in Batman v Superman to know that is this portrayal even in this footage that far different than that right because if the tone is that far different then yeah this is Affleck saying I want to lighten this up because even for this Batman's a little bit lighter than usual than he is I think even in past movies or the comics I I think I don't think he's going to be that light for the whole movie I think but he's, like you said it's I, lighter I I, I think it's this light. is a direct he's like Tony Starking it a little bit in this in this uh. In this trailer, this is a, this is definitely a ham-fisted look, guys. Look, look. humor, humor, funny humor. stuff. We're doing jokes. I, and I hate to we say got it. jokes. I hate to say, it, coming off a of civil war, that's Tony Stark meeting Spider-Man. I mean, that's basically yes. the scene with the Flash, which is fine. well, the him and the Flash part was oh, was totally absolutely. Iron Man and and Peter Parker. He's like, well, I'm not really the Flash, and he throws a battering at him, and he has to avoid it. So he yeah. says, oh, you're fast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's why you're here, asshole. You can should I, know that. Can I keep it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very much Peter Parker. Very, very Peter um, Parker. So, to continue parallels, um, I, let's talk a little bit about the Wonder Woman trailer uh, and, and continuing my my softening on Gal Gadot as as Wonder Woman. So, our Comic Con up in the up in the on top of the Warner Brothers. Were DC we book. together? Or no, 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 we weren't. But yeah, that was holy shit. Did that that shut a shit down show. the whole middle of Comic Con? It was it was her, Jared Leto, and someone said Will Smith as well. I didn't see. Will yeah, Smith. I didn't see him, but someone someone def- I had two people say Will Smith was definitely up there. Um, this is 
Captain America, Wonder Woman. <laughs> Except World War One, which I'll get into. In a yeah, second. yeah. Um, but I actually <laughs> think this looks pretty good. Um, I kind of want want to see this. I, I'm not entirely. It's too early to say about Justice League. Um, and honestly, if this is a part one of two. If they spend too much time on recruiting, I don't know. I I, I, don't I think know. they confirmed it's going to be just one Justice League movie. They confirmed that. Oh, they they did. Yeah, because they they did initially. It was supposed to be two parts. They, they did, but I think they confirmed that it's going to okay. be one. Um, but I liked the look of this. Other than the fact that the color palette is absolutely Snyder, uh, which I don't like, um, I find the premise of the movie to be. Um, interesting. And while this is somewhat of an origin story, this is not an origin story that has been told 500 times before. No. So, um, I, I feel like they're portraying the character in an interesting, uh, not necessarily an interesting light, but in a, a, a stronger light than, um, at least I was led to believe that they were portraying her in uh, Batman vs Superman. Um, it's a good mix of the classic Wonder Woman, but also uh, you know the, the the Amazon Wonder Woman with the sword, the yeah. shield, but she, also the lasso. Yeah, she had the lasso, I think, in Batman vs Superman. Didn't no, she? I, I don't know. I don't believe they never so. showed it. But but also the lasso. Um, I, I I like I said I I just I enjoyed what I saw. I don't know what more there is to say about it, but I there's something about that whole superhero in the midst of a war thing yeah. that I find to be very interesting to me. I just think it's weird they didn't want to do World War II because that's when she first made her first appearance. Yes. In the, uh, what was it, was it 40 or 39 was her first yeah, appearance. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. That's it's, what confused me because that's what I'm thinking back to. I didn't. Sure. I actually didn't think it was World War One. No, there, there was no comic books probably till what, 34 about. Anyway, so... Um, that was the only thing that was weird to me because it's not like yeah the Germans were bad guys in World War One but not compared to what they were in World War Two it was yeah. like night and day almost so I maybe they didn't want that comparison to Captain America so they pushed it back to World War One I. I think it's interesting just because you can get away with like I thought the most interesting part of the trailer was seeing all the Amazon riding on horseback on the beach to fight the Germans yeah. that to me was really cool that yes. sort of visual and I guess you couldn't get away with that as much World War Two I guess maybe that's why I don't know either way uh, I think it's is going to be interesting. And we'll get in a second why this this might be the movie that gets people back into the DC sort yes. of fold uh, in, in the run up to Justice League, which comes out I believe was it like next May or June, um, or is it a little? Because this is early spring, or this is when, early spring or late winter. When is just uh, twenty seventeen? I right? think it's February. Okay. Uh, when is this coming out? Uh, release date for Justice League. Yeah, uh, oh no, this is going to be uh, June 2nd. Oh, they pushed it back. June 2nd for Wonder Woman. Oh. Well, they, there, was a, there was a change in directors. I can't remember their names, but uh, one director left and then another one came in. So but but no- they were both female. So we have November 2017 for Justice League. Okay. With a sequel following up in 2019, which won't be part two, it'll just be a different movie. Oh, gotcha. So that's what the plan. Okay, so they, put, they shifted a little bit. Okay. So uh, Might not be a bad thing if they're trying to get away from the Snyderverse. Yeah, more space. Let's just breathe. Reshoots. I think it's very interesting that all these movies they keep either changing these dates or shifting them around or pushing them up and down with these DC. They're I really th- trying to. They're pussyfooting it on this a little bit, but they have to at this point. I they think it lends careful. a lot of credibility to the fact that they're really trying to work him the fuck out 
of this. Oh, he, I think he's yeah, he's already. I think this is the last movie he directs. Is this Justice League? After that, he's gone. He's yeah, on, I, I think he's directing it in a paper form only. Oh, let's hope, right, Ian? Yeah, because I, <laughs> I can't support him with my dollars unless I know for a fact he's had very little to do with it. All right. Um, so, speaking of the DC universe, movie universe, some sort of suicide squad. I mean. <laughs> well, it comes out this Friday. Recording this on August 2nd. Reviews are coming in now, Fast and Furious, a few days before. Not a good sign when you hold the reviews until, like, you know, uh, two days before it comes out, which they did with Batman v Superman. Hopefully this is going to be for every DC movie. <laughs> you know, with Civil War, they came out four weeks before. before right. They, they felt strong enough in uh, in that movie. So right now it's sending at 35% in Rotten Tomatoes. Um, not- 34? 35. Oh, okay, because this morning when you picked me up, it was 39. Okay. <laughs> Keep in mind, it's only 54, which actually is a beast. Now, 54 reviews released so far, 19 positive, 35 negative. Average score, which is also important, is five point four out of ten, which probably means that if this is a bad movie, it's probably not like it's, it's probably like a four out of ten bad. But the positive is probably only like a six out of ten or six and a half. So even you're not going to get many glowing reviews for this movie, I don't think. So there were some glowing reviews for Batman Superman. Kind of sick that there were, but there were a few that were like, oh, this is the best thing ever. Uh, with this, I don't think you're ever going to reach those heights. I just don't think. Uh, director David Ayers uh, had the balls like two nights ago to be like talking about how great the movie was and to say fuck Marvel during his uh, he, initial screening. He apologized. He yeah, did apologize. Kind of half-assedly. Well, someone in the crowd said it, so I just parroted it back, but I'm sorry to all my brother filmmakers. Mm. The fucking hubris. I don't understand with him and Snyder attacked Ant-Man last year. And I was just like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, why are you even trying to bring... You're bringing more comparison. It's like... It's just weird. But I, but let's go through some of these. I'm just going to... I'll say some positive and negative. I'm just going to run through the top... Let's just through the, we'll do the top critics. The top 20. We'll run through uh, some of these real here. From US Weekly, David Ayer's flash and dash directing style makes it a challenge to follow the story, not to mention a chore to process the onslaught of violence. From New York Daily News, the weaker characters and generally weak plot keep from, keep it from being one of the better comic book movies. I'll skip to more variety. On paper, this could have been the antidote to an increasingly codified strain of comic book movies, but in the end, it's just another high attitude version of the same. Come on, where's a positive one? Uh, what stole the soul of Suicide Squad? I'd say it's Iyer's willingness to go all limp dick and compromise his hardcore action bona fides for a PG-13 crowd pleaser that would rather ingratiate than cut deep or even cut at all. Ooh. Wow. Uh, here's a positive one. It's probably best to think of Suicide Squad as a primer and entry into a side world of the DC Universe that may pay bigger benefits in later films. That's, that's not, not a that's positive not, that's, review. Well, that's a three out of five. <laughs> um... This is a positive one that's 2.5 out of 4. So that's like barely above average. The characters are the ultimate in, squ- in squad goals, but they're far more fun than the actual story itself. So, okay. <laughs> so, this is, uh, this is uh, a case of BV, uh, Batman vs. Superman again, where even the positive reviews... This is the problem with aggregate sites, too, by the way. Um, this is where, where the positive reviews are not even that positive. Yeah. Here's the problem. You have an Avengers film of C-list characters without any build-up to either of them, which is what the first solo Pat cast, uh, when you were here, that they announced, I said, this sounds like a weird idea just to do this. And it's still a weird idea. doesn't mean it's not going to make money because it's. It, I think the forecast is making $110 million or so, $115 million. I think it'll drop off 
precipitously a second. We we can like Batman v Superman day. I people love are, that word because people are going to be like, "This movie sucks. Don't go see it." Which is what happened with Batman v Superman. You know, uh, but you can't do that with C listers. You just can't do it. And people are going to say Guardians of the Galaxy. That was the tenth Marvel movie in, not right. the second or third. And the Marvel movies had all, even the worst Marvel movies weren't like thirty eight percent. The worst Marvel movies like Thor Dark World and Iron Man 2 were like 60% on Rotten Tomatoes. Right. They were in the 30s. That's the difference. Right. They were still competently made films. If not if not like wow, you know. And I don't remember which review it was. I, I did I did try to look it up um and, and glance it, but you had mentioned it was that you know, you've you've got this 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 suicide squad. Um but these are these aren't mercs. These are supervillains. Well, Villains with superpowers. Some of them. Some sure. of them. And they're not using them. Harley Quinn doesn't have any superpowers. superpowers. She's a bat. She's a bat. But, but they're not using them. They, it, it, they're not it, using it, it for it, a chunk of the film. It, yeah. they're, it's gunfights and shit. It's, yeah. it, it's kind of... It, it's avoiding the better stuff that some of these characters have for... Uh, I don't know what reason. And here's the weird thing, and I'm going to admit it. There was a brief week where I was kind of like, you know... Because... I, I did remember that that the Joker wasn't supposed to be in it for that that much. But I was like, I maybe maybe I'll just give it a shot. I still want to. I actually still want to give it a shot. I'll watch it like on a Monday or afternoon. I don't have nothing to do. I'll yeah, watch it. but but now I'm like, no. I think it's interesting on IMDb. You have the they paid off like the like the, all these critics are by Marvel. It has a 9.0 rating on IMDb from 5,800 users when it's not even out yet anywhere yet. Which I just think is funny. So it's like either pre, either they're scared they want to bump up the uh, bump up the praise before it comes out. There's only 28 actual reviews on here uh, so far. Um, it's just it's just weird because again, uh, well, is this right? Rotten Tomatoes was wrong before on, on these. It says it's only an hour and 40 minutes. I don't know how the hell you, you tell a tale and or and supposedly there's origins for most of these characters too in the first like half hour. So I mean. How do you do that and then tell something in an hour and 40 minutes? I have no well, idea. Well, reviews are saying that the movie is completely disjointed and doesn't make sense. And it's just like scene, 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 scene. With no actual like plot running through it? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I hate to be right on something like because I wanted this to be a fun movie. Uh, uh, people are saying, uh, some of the critics are saying like it's just a bunch of music videos. And, like it's an extended trailer. They, they, they saw Guardians of the Galaxy. They saw, oh, here's some old music. Let's have our... Are uh, you know heavily used music? We'll, we'll, we'll use music as well. We're not getting why the music worked in Guardians of the Galaxy. It was actually central to the plot, uh, the music choices, and it had to do with one of the characters. Here, they're just oh, we'll get a Queen song in, we'll get White Stripes, we'll get Kanye, and we'll, we'll just have awesome scenes to it. Um, Hopefully, this is closing one book and potentially opening another. You know, and ending ending one chapter of the Marvel DC universe, and you know, perhaps starting oh, something, DC yeah, yeah, and starting something brighter. Starting with Gal Gadot, yeah. Well, and starting Wonder with Wonder Woman, and perhaps a. Well, what if it doesn't, though? Well, if it doesn't, then we're all. F- I mean, then it's just fucked. <laughs> Let's put it this way, because we were like, because because people were like, oh, Suicide Squad looks great. What if Wonder Woman also comes out? And it's it's not bad, but it's just mediocre. It's like ah, fifty five percent around to. And then you go into Justice League, and, and then at that point, it's like, I mean, there's only so much ill will you could avoid, even if you're, even if you want to like these movies. There's only so much. Yeah, it was okay, could have been better that you can take before you see your hopes just dash with a Justice League movie that just disappoints. Right. And then at that point, what do you do? 
I mean, honestly, what would you do? Just hope that these individual movies turn out better? Because at this point, it's like, what if Iron Man 1 sucked? What if Thor 1 sucked? Captain America sucked? Would you be that excited to see Avengers? Would Avengers made like a, a two billion, whatever the hell it made? No, I mean, I mean, at that point, the studios just gotta pull the plug. <laughs> and then, then we can say we told you so about Zack Snyder. I think we can say we told you so about Zack Snyder. Oh, one more already. thing about the one more thing about the music is that 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 what the hell is that song with? Uh, uh, come, baby, come, baby, baby, come, come. Yeah, give me love. What's that called? Uh, I think that was K seven Zunga. No, that's not, I don't Zoom, know. whatever. Zunga, 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 Zang. <laughs> sure, I don't know. That's in the movie. Spoilers, and they said it was basically in the movie just for the small portion of the song or sing to the action of swing batter batter swing batter batter swing and that's basically why it's in the movie uh, I don't uh, okay great you can kind of guess what character that's kind of going to be for but it's like that's the difference in use of music between something like this and Guards of the Galaxy wonderful like, yeah okay swing batter 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 swing batter alright Q&A time on the CU podcast uh, this is from at Marcus Aurelius not the Marcus Aurelius he's been gone for a while do expanded works of video games like comics and novels add to the overall experience or ruin the original product? I mean, honestly, I think it just depends on who who you are and, and, and how much you like that game and, and what you think you're going to get out of it. Um, for instance, my uh, Vani's, Vani's brother loved the, uh, I think it was the Gears of War comic, said that it fleshed out the universe a lot, added a lot to it. I know a lot of people who really like the uh, Link to the Past comic that Nintendo did. Um, I personally have never been... Just bought that at Comic-Con, the trade paperback of that. Yeah, it's supposed to be great. Um, I personally have never had any interest in expanded works. As a matter of fact, I avoided everything that expanded upon Final Fantasy VII because I felt like Final... It's Even though it's not one of my favorite games... And I feel like it's a bit overrated. It is a good game, and I felt like expanding upon what was told in the game would eliminate some of the room for interpretation that I liked about it. Sure. So it, it depends on what you want out of it. I feel like games like I think I think heavy action games like Gears of War and uh, Halo, especially first person shooters, um, stuff like Overwatch with the incredibly well done, almost Pixar quality shorts that Blizzard puts out, stuff like that really benefits from um, expanded universe stuff. Uh, but you know, games that are already story heavy, I feel like it's unnecessary and kind of ruins what's special about the storytelling that's already there. So action games, first person shooters, you can expand upon a little bit easier because the gameplay doesn't really lend itself to telling the story as much. Well, there's always cutscenes, but it's not a huge amount. Right, exactly. I mean, it's it's a little light on the storytelling because they want to keep you immersed in the gameplay. Uh, I especially like the uh, the novel to Danny Sullivan's Indie Heat. That's a good it really one. fleshes out the backstory. The two How chapters Danny... devoted to the pit crew. Oh yeah, I, fucking you tear got, jerking. You got right inside what they experience, what they go through, how integral they are to to the team to like make sure Danny succeeds. And of course, the tragedy <laughs> on race number four: one gets run over, and you see his little body on the track. Yeah. It's, it's 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 very tragic. Very Wife tragic. runs out, just kids crying in the stands. Anyway, um, Ninjo File. Aside from NWC cards, what's the most money you've ever spent on a single video game? I'm not going to say the actual values, but the most I've spent on a single video game would have to be 
Do you see the Myriad 6-in-1 to your left on the shelf there? Uh, no, but I've seen it before. should be right there unless someone stole it. Oh, yeah, yeah, there it is. Let's, let's show them. It's right there if you can get it for me. So, that's a Maxi 15 e Okay. Not, that's All not right. I mean, Myriad. whatever. I don't know. I don't know where it is, Pat. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, the Myriad 6-in-1, as Ian puts that back in, uh, I spent a lot on that. I think it's on the far left, actually, Ian. Uh, that's the most I spent money on. There it is. There it is. So there it is. Let's, let's show the camera. Myriad 61. And the number matches the box and cart, which doesn't happen often with those. So find that. So that, and then good old magical chase for TurboGrafx 16, I spent the most on. Differences being, magical chase was the last game I needed, so I had to get that. Uh, Myriad 61 was sort of a deal that fell into my lap, and sort of like, I'd be losing money if I didn't buy it. <laughs> basically one of, one of those sort of things that like if I was ever which is how it's worked out with my rarer games now where it's like um, I, I'm not actively seeking it but if it's a deal that's too good to be true I sort of buy it that's basically what happened with that game uh, where you'd it's be like, losing money you'd be losing money. money that's like the Jim Gaffigan thing where he sees like two whoppers for like four bucks yeah. oh I gotta buy it I'd be losing money on this deal <laughs> you know? um, so those are the two ones I spent the most on at a single time um and I have a couple more games I want to buy, and who knows how much I'll spend, but that'll probably be more. What about you? Um, for me, I, it depends on what your definition of spend is. Uh, my my Sapphire, I didn't spend physical money on, but I did spend man hours on. Um, well, that, I guess well, that, it was the cash equivalent. Yeah, it was the cash equivalent. Um, so that was probably the most I've spent on, on, on a game. Um, in terms of money out of pocket, I went until... Last year, I went my entire life doing pretty good with bargains, ending up with games worth, in some cases, well over $100 without ever spending over $100 on them until I finally broke down and bought um, a copy of Nexer for the PC Engine. Um, I won't say what I spent on it. I got a good deal on it, but I definitely broke my rule, went over 100 and... Uh, once you do that once, it gets a little bit easier to do it. Um, I think I may have done it one other time for another game. can't remember what, though, off the top of my head. Although there's a couple other games that I have my eyes on that I, I may I may go over 100 on. It's not common for even me to spend over 100 bucks on a game. Right? No. I'm I, trying to think of even the NES library, at least cartridge. Obviously, getting a box like Chubby Cherub or... Or Don Kong Junior Math, I spent actually Don Kong Junior Math. I think I got for only about hundred or ninety at the time. But for the cartridge games, I don't know how many I spent over hundred. There might be only be one out of the entire NES library putting together. Where I spent more than a hundred bucks on a cartridge game. Well, you did most of your collecting back when that was still somewhat viable, as That's long true. as you held out. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. There will come a point. It's it's easier when I look at it in terms of how much I'll play something. A platformer, I'm as much as I love them, I'm probably not going to spend more than a hundred on. A shooter, I can justify it because I'll run a shooter into the ground. So you based on how much you're actually going to play. Yeah, yeah. How much so, wear and tear am I going to put in this game? A copy of Nexer, I've gotten more play out of a copy of Nexer than I ever did out of you know various RPGs that you know are you know sixty hours in length. Well. I've probably run about 60 hours out of Nexer, if not more. I mean, I will sit there and play shooters forever. So. All right. What about consoles? Does that count now? Nah. Consoles don't count. Nah. Uh, at 
Crusha K. Aronkis. You always talk about fake carts, repro labels, etc. Can we have a discussion what we should look for? So give uh, a little primer. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a few things you should look for. Um, I mean, it, it, without having things to show you, my little Samson. Um, without having things to show you, uh, there are a few things you should be able to do if you're buying something that's worth uh, a bit of money. The first thing you should be able to do is ask the person if you can take that cartridge apart and look at the um, interior and be able to compare the chips. Uh, you know, to to a known real copy uh, online, and make sure the board looks legit. Mm-hmm. Uh, first thing you'll notice about most repros is you're going to see wires jumping all over the place. And the second you see something like that, uh, if you see anything other than so- you know chips that are you know irregular on the board, chips that aren't uh, yeah, marked, that aren't marked, then you know you you know you're probably dealing with a bootleg board. Um, labels, as much as it sucks are getting harder to determine, but you're generally going to notice differences in hues compared to a normal label. Now, that's also somewhat tough to determine because you have to be looking at an original label on a quality monitor that's going to display the colors truly. Um, But you will always notice some differentiation in color no modern printer is really going to get that color precisely like the original printer is going to do Mm -hmm. um also your detail a a detail um application of the label um dpi um you know the the clarity of certain things look at the smallest writing that you can find right and compare it to another cart if you have or even just another nes card look at the seal look how official Nintendo seal of quality looks on it. Now, keep in mind, a, a Nintendo seal of quality that is not perfectly clear does not mean no. that it's a fake cart. Um, but you you want it to look... If it's unclear, you want it to look unclear in, in the same ways as it does yes. on other cartridges. Obviously, look for pixelization or something from a modern printer that or, or from, a, from an image that might be blown up, you know, or... You know, just look around, look at the edges of letters, things like that. Um, if you're concerned about it being an AliExpress, uh, f- just feel the plastic. I can't stress that enough. Yeah. The plastic is going to feel cheap and shitty. Um, AliExpress cartridges are not really using uh, donor cartridges. They're they're, they're making, making their own. own cartridges, and they're going to feel like crap. They're not going to feel the same. The plastic is going to feel off, and the plastic isn't going to be as sturdy. When you have a fake cartridge in your hand, whether it's... It's a, a Game Boy Advance cartridge or a Game Boy cartridge or an NES cartridge or even a Genesis cartridge. There's generally going to be some give or the sheen is going to feel weird or the slickness or the texture of it's going to feel off. Um, Make sure that the, the back label is correct. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's I've, always going to be something that could potentially be I, wrong. Spelling errors. I've seen people starting to sell repros of those. Yep. The back labels. Uh, make sure that, you know... That the security screws are the same ones. Make sure that it has the right security screws versus, uh, you know, make sure it's a three versus five screw. Yeah, I was going to say, make sure you're not buying a rare five screw Remember little Samson. Remember the five Samson. screw little Samson? Yeah, yeah exactly. Because I mean, that's not a fucking because thing. Because it didn't exist. They switched to three screws securities in, in 87. They switched over. So any game man after 87 should only be three screws and security screws. I mean, that's something that maybe not common sense to you, but if you don't know that, that's something you look for. Uh, obviously, like Ian said, the weight, everything, the feel of it. Um, yeah, that's a, that's your primer. Unfortunately, yeah, looking at the visuals, unless you have a direct comparison, but even looking on your phone, like you said, looking at looking at the look at the different sort of colors, 
usually they can be muddied a little bit. They just will, they'll just they'll just look off. Even for other Nintendo, they'll just look off. You'll see hues that bleed into each other. Yeah. That's another thing. Color bleed is a big thing. Um, I mean, any any number of those things. And honestly, I hate to say it. Um, if a label looks too good to be true or too perfect, I'm not saying that perfect labels don't exist, but these cartridges are very, very old. You're, you, you're, you're likely going to notice some something on there that's lacking. That's a good point. Look at the cut of the label. Yeah. Look at the placement of the label. Uh, usually the placement of these labels are pretty much the same for most games where you won't see any overlap or that much underlap, um, and they'll always will line up left to right. It's I've never seen a Nintendo game where like it was off on a corner, no you know, the label. So it's it's very hard to apply these perfectly. So make sure the label looks like oh, are the corners rounded or are they cut square? Yeah, is it, does it look miscut at all? Does it look like does it line up? Then that means it was hand cut. So that's a very important uh, point on on these. Um, yeah, I see a lot of the fake ones where uh, on the on the on the spine. It won't come flush. No, it won't It'll come be, flush. Be up too much. Exactly. the uh, The actual title will kind of roll over the top yes. a little bit. So either bit. the si- it was either sized wrong or cut wrong. So it, it's it's hard to do a really good job on the labels. I know people are getting better at it, but at the end, yeah, ask to open that sucker up, which leads us into our next Q and A question: Is it rude to ask a seller to show the game work if the game works and real if it's pricey game, especially if they have demo consoles out? If it's a pricey game and there is a demo console, meaning I have one in the store, uh, no, it's not rude. Um, it's perfectly reasonable. Um, I've even opened rare cartridges for people before. I have no problem doing that. I do try to explain to people, especially if it's a busy day, that I do this when it comes in, I make sure it plays. I make sure it's the right game. I open these myself. I inspect them. Um, but if I'm going to be making a high-priced sale, uh, I'm, I'm willing to, to, to go that length for that person. I understand their concerns because I have my concerns when these games come in. Um, my bigger concern or the the thing that drives me nuts is when people come in and they buy a handful of $10 games and they want me to pull an NES out of my case and show them that a copy of Top Gun and uh, Ghosts and Goblins and you know Super Mario Brothers 1 all work and I'm like we have a warranty on the games and and, and this that and the next thing Um, no I don't think it's rude I do think you need to expect that if you're at a store um, and I'm going to do this for you that I have to get my my smaller sales out of the way first I have to get I have to clear the store out and because this can occasionally be a longer process, I have to set up the store. Uh, not all stores have demo consoles out. Um, a store that's busy like Luna Video Games, especially like our busiest location, the La Mesa location, um, we don't have demo consoles because we need to sell those consoles. But no, it, it, it's, it's, not, it's not particularly rude if someone's got a copy of Shatterhand 2 or something like that. At the same point in time, if, if, if you're a hardcore collector, I think you should probably understand that if it's a reputable shop that you've dealt with before they're probably testing it out and you should also probably know that cartridges are um, 
basically infallible. Uh, I, I think this certainly makes more sense if you're buying something that's known to be touchy, like, say, a Dreamcast game, or if you're buying a copy of Panzer Dragoon Saga and I have a Saturn on hand. Yeah, I have no problem booting up those discs and showing you that they work. Um, but, you know, uh, asking me to test out a $20 copy of a game or something like that, uh, I do find that to be a bit unreasonable. And I do have people who will ask me to do that, and to that it's... Uh, I, I I will oftentimes say no, especially if it's a busy day. Okay. I would say, real quickly, add something to this, is that it probably also depends upon maybe the seriousness of, of the buyer. And if he bought a lot from you before, you'd be willing to go out of your way. Sure, you need to know yeah. that. That's if, absolutely if I, right. If I've dropped a grand in your store before, I would hope that you can set aside a couple minutes to test a cartridge. Oh, right? absolutely. You know what I mean? Versus, yeah, someone that, for sure. versus someone that asked to test out cartridges in the past or he's going to test out i don't know freaking gilgan's island it's like really it's like come on you don't you, that's, no that's I, i've thing. had a lot of there, there have not a lot but i have had customers who have done that to me before and been like okay thanks and then left. And, and, leave. And, 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 and they've done that a couple times and you know i i feel like maybe they're like okay i've seen this work i'm I'll gonna go back. i'm gonna go home and think on it but then they come back a week later and they ask me to test out something completely different when that cartridge is still in there and it's like at that point, you can ask, okay, what's the point? Well, you know, I, I might do it a couple of times, but then it's like, are you, what, why? Yeah, what's are, your yeah, intent? I ask, are you interested in buying Are you, it? yeah, exactly. And, I, and, you know, I try to be polite about it, but it's, you know. Do you want to see the game play? Especially because I, like, I, I, I stress, I don't have demo consoles set up. So. You should probably keep one, or, or keep a multi-console or something. You can quickly do it. A multi console is one thing, but like I said, a lot of these expensive games that people want, you know, it, it, it's it's Saturns, it's Dreamcast, it's things that I don't have you multiples do of, you and you know, it's not it's something that I have in the case, you know, to be sold. This is from oh hello Bryce. This is from B McRandomus. What's the most difficult thing to deal with at conventions? I think that it obviously varies from person to person what your experience is. If you're someone who's just going there to buy stuff or hang out, um, it also depends upon your convention type. If you're going to something like Comic Con, you got to deal with the huge crowds. Some people it gets very tiring just getting around to things or not being able to get into your panel that you want to get to. So that that could be the most difficult thing to deal with. If it's a retro game convention, uh, maybe it's it's trying to find good deals there, or maybe or maybe it's uh, I don't know getting to panels there. So it could be tough. It really it really depends what your experience is. Uh, my experience is not your experience. Uh, I'm coming there from a different perspective where, unless you're asking me specifically what's my most difficult thing to deal with. I, I feel like he that. meant on both sides. Okay. Uh, so for me, it's just, um, um, it's great, but it's just very tiring uh, to, I mean, Ian's uh, good at it, I'm good at it, but we, we meet people for several hours a day. Um, and it's almost nonstop in, in some instances, uh, like at Too Many Games or Portland, where there's no lull in it. So while it's great meeting everyone, it's just mentally taxing. Not everyone has the personality to even deal with that. Uh, but to do that then two days in a row, it's just very tiring. So I'm usually wrecked. The two or three days after I come back from a convention like that, I'm just, I'm just like, I can't do anything. I'm just sort of like dead, uh, dead tired. Small price to pay, but it is a price. Uh, that's probably the most difficult thing to deal with. Uh, at conventions. Other than that, it's just lugging, lugging the DVDs there. Uh, they're heavy. They're not light. Um, and then, you know, if I have extra games, pricing them out and things like that. That's personally probably my most difficult thing to deal with. And trying to fit everything in. Uh, trying to be able to hang out with people you know. Um, 
while also doing all those responsibilities of being a guest at a convention. That's tough. While also trying to sneak in time to actually shop around. I, I get limited time to actually shop around at conventions. I got to like run around real quick for like 20 minutes and look to see what they have. And I usually don't end up buying that much anymore. But I like the look at least. Um, most of mine would, would, would mimic Pat, uh, you know, for, for the, the attendee, um, it's, it can be crowds depending on your, your ability to handle them. Um, for instance, this year at Comic-Con, I felt that, uh, it was one of the busiest years. I mean, it only gets busier every year. Um, somehow it does, you know, they let the same amount of people when I think it's just, it's still very busy. I feel like some years they're, 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 they're slowly testing fire code. Um, but like Sunday, or maybe it's just that some days that I expect to be slower have, have gotten busier. Like yes. Sunday this year felt like an absolute uh, shit show. Sunday, Sunday for the first time felt like, oh shit, there's this shit uh, that are actually comics on the right side. We should look at them and look at some toys. That in the past Sundays were usually clear on that like right side of the convention. This year yeah. it was packed. Packed. Um, so you know, there, there, there's always that. Uh, like Pat said, you know, finding good deals. Um, I, I find that too many games, you can find some good prices. And at Portland, you can find some good prices. Um, as much as I enjoy uh, MAGFest for the party aspect, you're not generally finding good prices, at least in my experience at MAGFest. Um, on the side of doing a convention, uh, for me to touch on something that, that, that Pat said, um, I am... I love meeting people, and I've met so many nice people, uh, people that I talk to online. It's really great to meet them in real life, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a shyer person than Pat is, um, and uh, I get very, I guess the only word I can use to describe it is very electric, and it, it, it tires me. He's and, got a feel. <laughs> he's electric. <laughs> and I have to, um, I have to take breaks. I have to go find a quiet spot. I have to take a couple breaths. I have you, to take some water. You get amped up. It's almost like you get amped I know, up. No, I get it. I get real amped up. Um, people talked about how this last live panel we did, um, I was on, and they really enjoyed like my presence at the panel, and I appreciated that. But at the same point in time, it kind of bothered me only because it was it was weird because that's not me. I was only that way because I was so amped up and in a way I'd kind of hit this hypomanic state where I was I was a little outside of my I was a little uncomfortable with how I was acting um I don't think I I I, I was I was um I I don't think I was you were, uh, you weren't belligerent. You I wasn't weren't. belligerent, or I wasn't crazy, or anything like that. But I mean, I was. It was. It was the the excitement and the electricity of the event that that put me in a in a spot that I'm not normally in. Three sixty. Yeah. You got a macho I, man I, I was in a little bit of a macho man mode. And what the the bigger problem about conventions? The bigger problem with conventions, and, and that is, uh, I sleep notoriously poorly at conventions um too many games and i and i i do have to credit vani i think a great deal with this one and also the fact that i would i went into too many games uh after an emergency room visit and i was very concerned about my health and i was playing it very cool um but at all prior conventions whether it was magfest which was four days or three-day conventions. Uh, honest to goodness, I got sleep over the total course of those conventions in the single digits. 
Uh, I think the lowest amount of sleep I ever got at a convention was a three-day convention. I got six hours of sleep. And at MAGFest, I got about nine. Um, So it's very taxing on my body. And by the time I get home, I'm dead. Um, But I love them. I have a lot of fun. But it does take a real toll on my body. At Testy Ant, what is your opinion on the Funko Pop craze? Do you think the bubble on them has finally burst? I hate it. Um, I'm not going to lie. I have uh, a handful of pops, and the ones that I have, I like. Um, The ones that I have mostly don't look a lot like pops. Um, For instance, the uh, Alien Xenomorph pop doesn't even have, like, the, the stereotypical pop eyes oh, it doesn't? on it. No, it, it's just like a weird super deformed xenomorph. It looks pretty cool. Um, I have the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles pops, uh, the four turtles, Splinter and, and uh, Shredder. Um, Vonnie likes to collect the ones that are robots. Um, Robocop, maybe? or I don't think she has Robocop, but like uh, Wally, uh, okay. Eve, um, and a couple from They Yo have Gabba every Gabba. fucking license under the sun somehow. They, they do. It's um, amazing. Because they make money. Um, what happened to Mighty Mugs dropped the ball? Yeah. We have a, so we have a couple of them, but they were, these are earlier lines, and as time went on, I just get the design is so vanilla and so bland, and I don't get the the the, the I don't get the collectability, or, or or the fascination with them. Other than, like Pat said, every license under the sun Everything. has them. Every so movie, TV show. If combo. you want a little piece of shelf candy or something for your desk that's based on one of your favorite licenses, or your favorite characters. 90% chance you can find a pop of it or there will be a pop of it. But they've gotten so uniform and boring looking. It's like they take, I, I swear there's a pop app that only the people who work at pop have where they snap a picture of something and they run it through this cartoony boop 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 and it spits out a pop on the other end because they're, I mean, it's it, it, it's just, they all have the same shape, the same form and um, while I am certainly not a toy collector, I have toy collector friends um, who look at them as just disposable. And they are. I mean, in years, these things uh-huh. are going to be worth nothing, and they're going to be uh-huh. filling up landfills. Uh, you hate comparing something to Beanie Babies, but come on. The only difference between this and Beanie Babies is that this is based upon like licenses that people know about. Otherwise, yeah. it's the same thing. It is. It really is. And in the, the pop line... The pop line at Comic-Con is insane. Yeah. It's just nuts. There was, you see that one vendor with the wall of them? Like, literally... Like, oh, like, every uh, year for the past, like, five years. foot wall. So, yeah. I mean, just to answer the last part of the question, I don't think the bubble has burst. Um, the the, the no. shops that my, my, uh, my wife runs, uh, or my, my wife manages, um, still sell them by the truckload. Oh, sure. I mean, every store they have has what they call a mountain of pops in the center that they have to that each one has set up. Um, they have the, the, the huge mountain of pops at uh, Comic-Con. There's lines that you have to line up for at 4 in the morning to get them. Yeah. Uh, the trolleys at, for uh, the San Diego trolleys for Comic-Con this year were completely decked out for Conan O'Brien, but they were all were covered in the in the exclusive Conan O'Brien pops that you got for going to the panels this year. The the pop craze, 
it's going to die at some point. Yes, that bubble's going to burst, but I think it's got it. My one toy collector friend and I were discussing it. We think it's probably got another three years. Well, when did it blow up? The past, like, two years? Uh, Probably the past two years, yeah. Probably the past two, three years. They've been around for longer than the, that. They have been. Money Mugs was what, how long Money Mugs been around for. Money Mugs is, like, limited, though. That's only a few different lines, correct? Yeah. That's not, like, everything. No, Mighty Mugs was a lot smaller, and it was it started Star off Wars, as mostly superheroes. And Star, Star Wars, Wars, Marvel, Indiana Jones, G.I. Joe, Transformers. That was Mighty yeah. Mugs for the most part. So they kept it more limited, and that was what, Hasbro? I, was like, I didn't know it was by Hasbro. Okay. Let's see, when did that come out? Uh, but now they have, like, shows coming up for these uh, oh really pop, pop shows um they um the i think i think a year and a half goes when i started to see them being sold to swap me i have like a, a dealer having just like a majority of them or at least two sometimes you see two of them this is the thing about bubbles this is this is how you define when more people get into it as speculation versus enjoying it you officially have a bubble and they get the answer i'm not an expert at this if people out there collect these, are there more speculators in it right now than people that are into it to enjoy it? And once you get that tipping point, that's when it's going to fail. Because that's what happened with baseball cars in the 90s. That's what happened with comics in the 90s. That's what happened with Beanie Babies. When you have more people getting into it, just thinking, I'm going to get rich off it. When you have everyone thinking you're going to get rich off of something, and you have no one going to buy it after the prices get pumped up artificially, you have basically like a pyramid scheme, you're going to find the final idiot then who has a worthless thing they spent $1,000 on a Beanie Baby, and then Everyone says, why is that worth anything? Because there's all these other Beanie Babies out there. There's a million of them. And what's, where, where's the end game with this? They're just made to make money. And if you think that's where it's, it's uh, headed with these pop figures, then it'll be the same result. Yeah. Um, and they have they have shown signs of uh, over overstepping their boundaries. They did release a line of toys, uh, two lines. Uh, one is called uh, Dorbs. Which uh, oh, it's right. The which one. are round headed, uh, completely round headed, and really all that's different is they're completely round headed, and they have these little cutesy like arc eyes. And uh, according to Vani, they've gone over like lead balloons. No one likes them. And they have um, they they call them Japanese style uh, soft vinyl toys. They're called Hikari Sofubi, and they're like soft vinyl. And um, they don't seem to be doing particularly well either. They did like Ninja Turtles and Batman. So it's almost too much. Like we, we, we have enough trouble keeping up with the main line. Now you're doing these other, right. Other so I, I think I, I think that, that could, could get them time. in trouble. Oh yeah, there was a Dorbs in a loot crate a couple months ago. At first, yeah. I was like, "What is that? Oh, it's just a pop figure. It's, it's another like, Funko thing. It's just deformed a little bit more." The, um, the, I had a revel, not a revelation. Uh, I was with Andre though. Uh, Black Nerd Comedy was part of our panel. Walking around, I think it was Saturday. Walking past this, all this merchandise, I forget what the specific one was. I think it was like a Star Wars like light cover or something like that. And I just said, "All this shit's going to be in a landfill in twenty years." I said, yeah. I said that to Andre. I said, "People are spending money on all this shit, and most of this is going to be thrown out." Yep. And not, I'm not anti. Obviously, I'm not anti-consumerism at all, but it just hit me that that was sort of like my not epiphany because I kind of you know I realized some of the stuff, but it was sort of like in front of my eyes like this is all fucking garbage. This is all plastic shit we are buying mm-hmm. that leads to nowhere. At least these you can play these. Yeah, no one's playing with a fucking pop figure. They're just putting it on their shelf and looking at it. Well, I mean, I, I mean, Vonnie and I are wrestling with that now. We're look. I mean, we're looking around at our apartment and it's like. We're trashing this. We're getting rid of this, and it's not like it's not like it's it's a ton, but we don't live in the biggest of spaces, and it's like okay. And I can't tell you how many things I looked at at Comic Con this year, and I'm like, that's well, cool. It would be cool. Do I need? But it? no, 
Yeah, I'm finally getting to that point. You'll be happy to hear that. I'm finally like, would be cool. Don't need it. Yeah, more with toys though. With the games are no, <laughs> no, like books. The thing is, is I, is I look at a book and I'm like, I can read that, lend it out, reread oh, sure. it, and I'm like, okay, but you know, statuettes, toys, things like that. Statues. That's the thing. I see these awesome statues being yeah. sold for four hundred dollars. Beautiful Ghostbuster figures that are that big. Uh, Gizmo. Uh, with the with a fire arrow, if you saw that one at Comic Con, yeah. look gorgeous. Then again, I'm I'm the guy who just dropped three hundred on the Voltron uh, you, yes, Soul of Chokokin. But you did do Chokokin, but yeah. So I mean, I, there's always going to be exceptions, but do you need a hundred pop figures lining your fucking wall? No, because they all look the fucking same. So there will be a bubble. It will burst. Just a matter of when. Yep. it's going to do because now you uh, you have like websites tracking your collection. I'm looking on eBay. One sold for five hundred dollars. The Funko Pop Street Fighter Ryu Gold Chase Mint Rare. Some are retired. Have the tag. You know what was also retired? Beanie Babies were retired. Yeah, they use that term to say, "Oh, it's you can't get it anymore, so pay more money for it." It's just kind of you- remember, and they can always make more of these. Whenever you can always make more of something, that collectible market means shit. I really wanted a Vanellope from um, uh, Wreck-It Ralph Pop. It was one of the few that I actually really wanted. It was retired. It was going for over $100. They reissued it. Vonnie got it for me for 15 And then what happened to the market on the originals? Did it drop? Yeah, I'm sure I'm it, did. it did. I, I didn't bother looking, but I'm sure it did. But, but it they, dro- well, they literally reproduced it. Yeah. After people were buying and selling them for over a hundred or eighty to a hundred, and you don't think that could happen for a rare five hundred dollar one or three hundred dollar or two hundred dollar? Sure. It absolutely can. All right, let's move on. All right, at zero zero Kohai, Ian said in the hypothetical SNES mini episode that he doesn't love the SNES. What are Ian's full thoughts on the system? My full thoughts on the system are it's bag of shit. No. Not really. Um, people love to get on me for this, and I don't know why. I know it's so many people's favorite systems, but hey, people have opinions. Um, I don't, I don't love the SNES. I, I don't hate it. Part of my problem with the SNES is I didn't grow up with one, so I don't have a nostalgic collection to one. My friend, one of my best friends growing up, who I don't fucking talk to because he's a dick. Um, Same Kevin. Kevin. Yeah, that would have been Kevin. Oh, it is. Yeah, oh. we we had, we had this conversation. Oh, we did. Yeah, everyone has a has a friend Kevin <laughs> growing up who's a dick. Yeah. Um. Uh. So I played his SNES. He played my Genesis. But even back then, the only game I really ever wanted to play on his Super Nintendo was um. Uh, Super Mario World. I loved Super Mario World. I thought the game was great. I didn't like it as much as Mario Three, but I I mean I really enjoyed it. I liked the soundtrack. Um, I liked the graphics. I thought it was a really fun game. Um, I also liked playing Street Fighter 2 on it, obviously. Uh, oh, absolutely. That's I liked great. F-Zero. And then a lot of the games that he rented that he hated, I loved. Um, even though I don't have a whole lot of affection for it now, when he rented Earthbound, I sat there and played Earthbound for you know a bunch of hours. I liked it. Um, I liked ActRaiser when he rented it. Um I said F-Zero. Mario Kart, obviously, mm-hmm. I played a ton of. So there are games I like for the system, but I never grew up with one. Um, one of the systems I never bought at the flea market was also a Super Nintendo. My brother bought a Super. Uh, my brother bought a Saturn. And he bought it right around the time that I moved out, when I had just turned 19. So I borrowed it from my brother. 
mostly to play Super Mario World. And I played some of the Mega Man X's. Mm-hmm. Um, Castle, Super Castlevania was pretty fun, but I didn't like it as the other ones, and, and as much as the other ones, and Contra 3 was all right. Uh, and I played, uh, you know, when I moved out, um, I played a lot of the RPGs that I'd only, you know, touched on emulators when I was a teenager. So it's a good system. <laughs> it's a good system. Um, and it has a lot of great RPGs, but I think the main reason that I don't like it so much now is my main interest is platformers and shooters. And yes, I know it has platformers, but it doesn't have a ton of platformers that I really enjoy. You can talk Mega Man X's, and sure. Um, you can talk the Mario games, and yes. No, I don't like the Donkey Kong Country games. Um it really does not have a great library of shooters. I do love our type three. Um, at least it doesn't have a great library of shooters in the U S. Um, I do like RPGs, but with every year that passes, I find myself with less and less time for role playing games. So arguably the super Nintendo strongest point and a genre that I really do like is a genre that I can't find time for anymore. So it's not that I hate the Super Nintendo, it's that it's it's shining genre is something that I no longer find time to play. So I don't hate the Super Nintendo. I don't love it because I just can't find time to make use of its its best assets. Sure. The stuff that I do like playing, I find it it's kind of weakened. So there, that's my full you know, thoughts it, on the super. And you did always say it was always the, the library, not that it was boring, it was bland to you. It, it compared is. Compared to the Sega Genesis, which, which experimented is, a lot more. It, it, the, the Genesis experimented a lot more. The Genesis does have a lot more of the types of platformers that I like. The uh, Genesis has a lot more shooters. Uh, it has a lot nice. more, like I said, a lo- the, the platformers are a lot more action platformers uh, as opposed to kind of, you know, meandering platformers. So it's... um. A lot more action games. Yeah, uh, the yeah. beat-em-ups are great on that system. Yeah, I was going to say, a lot of those beat-em-ups you can't find anywhere else. Like, you have Punisher Arcade version, you can't find it anywhere else. Golden Axe, Streets of Rage. Yeah. Just, like, really great... The, the stuff that I really enjoy. So, I mean, that that's that's what it comes down to. It's not that the Super not Nintendo is a bad system, it's just... Nothing it's... beats Time of the Sword of Baseball at all. <laughs> or Pat Rally Basketball. Oh, Pat... I sold a copy of that, yes. Uh, like... Well, not yesterday, but within the past week or so, and it was like the first time I'd sold it in years. It was to me. <laughs> Did you sell it to me? Mm-hmm. It was to me. It was to you. <laughs> it was to you. I sold Pat Riley basketball to you. It's funny. It's funny. Who did someone? Who the fuck else would want a Pat Riley basketball besides Pat? All right. Um, this is from uh, Joshua. Why do you think that you and Ian get so much hate on retro gaming Facebook pages? Well, I get hate because I'm uh, an opinionated social justice warrior hipster <laughs> cuck. Um, so that's pretty easy. We need a new acronym for all that. Yeah, yeah. S J W H C. Retro hipster. Um, I don't know because people oftentimes can't handle opinions that aren't their own. Uh, someone's going to reply in the comments section. It's because we uh, present our opinions as fact, which I think is actually um, 
literally impossible, but I, I, I don't know. I don't think you can present an opinion as fact. Um, I think it's also because um, retro gaming Facebook pages tend to focus a lot on the collecting and value aspect of it. And Pat and I spend a lot of time talking about, well, how video games as investment is dumb. Yeah, it's strange that this is why uh, my favorite website, which people don't like to even say that, uh, they get on me. I think one of the reasons I'm not liked on Nintendo Age by and large is because I could say owning all these rare, valuable games that using it as an investment is fucking stupid. Yeah. And to them, it doesn't compute. Because it's like it's because they can't say I'm, they try to say you're jealous. I don't have a game. I got the I got the games. You can't say it's jealousy. You can't say I'm being a hater. I walked the walk. I've been collecting since. Ninety nine percent of retro gamers. So you can't say I got into it the past few years. I didn't get into it to be cool. I was into it before it was big. Been collecting games since like ninety seven. Same with you. Mm. It's been a long time. So you can't get on me for that. So I think if, it frustrates people. It's hard. It's hard to peg people like us. What are we? Are we opportunists? Are we getting into it for the money? Like, like there has to be an angle for everyone. They can't. I don't think they can easily find it with us. That's my opinion, at least. And plus, you know what? We're fucking honest, and this is who we are. We're not putting on a fucking act. Well, I think that's part of it. Is uh, and some people don't like that. I've I, I, I've learned also from previous topics that we've discussed. As a matter of fact, two, just two from um, from our last podcast, the the Sulu topic and the uh, the Tekken topic. Uh, it fries people's fucking circuits. Yeah. This is kind of going away from the Facebook thing. It fries people's circuits when they think they have one opinion of me and I suddenly have an opinion that does not yeah. jive with their preconceived notion of me and they get even angrier with me because I dared to have an opinion that does not fit with their preconceived notion the, of me. The internet's not any place for nuanced conversation. I always said that. Yeah. It's very... Because, it, first of all, you're not a lot of people aren't, aren't going on the internet. They're either go on the internet to see some, an opinion they really agree with or see one they really hate. A lot of times you're not going on the internet to try to, to get your opinion changed or to actually learn something from an opposite side. Those, so those so, people don't those people are actually uh, I would say more balanced usually and they're not going on the internet and wasting their time to, to do those endeavors. They're, they're just so I've been. Well, at least they're not leaving comments about it. It's funny because I've been attacked by people who always are who who hate me for my opinions because they're always against what they're always against what they believe. Yeah. And then they'll attack me for having an opinion that I agree with, saying like, "Oh, well, you said this the last time," and it's like, I just I'm, fucking I'm a, I'm agreed. A person. I I, yeah, I just different. fucking agreed with you. And likewise, and right. and usually on this end of the spectrum, they they will apologize or they'll kind of like understand. Okay, well, it, it's nuanced, but there have been people who. Our opinions have gelled time and time again, and on the one time it doesn't, they'll come at me, and it's like, dude, we're not gonna fucking agree on everything. It's just I, the nature. Of, it's just human nature. I've been I've been called uh, ultra liberal on some comments or liberal, um, and it's like, well, it, people want to peg you as one thing. It's like, yeah, I have liberal beliefs for some things, and other beliefs not. It's like you're allowed to have different opinions on different stuff and different you, your minds can think in different ways they're not all tuned into one dial yeah like, i'm not a fucking shapeshifter i'm a goddamn human being yeah. like and but, people don't like that people <laughs> no. like to pigeonhole people but you know what? i've never been on getting back to the facebook pages i've never been on them no the only reason I, I accepted this question is because every other week people are telling me oh this group said something about you I'm like i i don't care. No, it's a common q a so we figured we might as well address it 
I mean, what what are you gonna go after me and Ian for? We have better hair than you. I mean, oh, maybe that's it. It's time. We haven't done one in a while. We're going to be opening some gifts. You guys got me and Ian. Thank you very much. We always appreciate it. Yes. Except when you try to front me up, ladies. You send me too much candy. You want to make me fat. Don't appreciate that. Hey, it rhymes. Let's see what we got. All right. You want to go first or me? Let's start with, uh, this is coming from Andrea, female, from Germany. Female? What, does it say that? Or? Are... Oh, I'm assuming Andrea is. You know why? It's candy. <laughs> Trying to front me up, Andrea. But you know what? What better way to do that with the Haribo gummies? Well, and the German ones have um, uh, different flavors. They're and very, these are the best? They're very good. The best gummy bears on the planet. Yes, they are. As my phone goes off in the background, it's probably Frank calling. Uh, das Original Site 1922. We'll, maybe they'll have these in the Wonder Woman movie, because it takes place during World War One. even though it's after World War One. So, thank you very much. Oh, there's a card. Real quick, too, or a letter. Oh, this has to be, yeah. The, the writing's so cute. Uh, dear Pat and Ian, thanks again for reading my letter on the show. Oh. Since Ian said he would have taken gummy bears despite all the candy he has already gotten through, through the show. Oh, okay. I thought I would... Might as well provide you guys with the best gummy bears in the world. Well, they, you have. they certainly are. Thank you. Maybe it's not a... Okay, if, if you're not a woman, I apologize. I don't know now. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm not going to assume anymore, but if it's if it's from a foreign land, I don't know. Hi, CU Podcast. Enjoy your gift. This is from Chris Summer. Drop an email at... No, not going to read that out loud. Candy may ship separately. No, it won't. It's here. Uh, one of which is for Ian, the other for Pet. DVD is for Ian. Okay. What, what DVD did you get? Oh, it's Godzilla, the complete animated series, oh. which I've actually heard is really, really good. It's the same logo as the 98 movie. It is, but I've actually heard the animated series is good. Oh, so right. this will definitely give me something to watch. And uh, we actually got one of these. No, I think we got 80s mix before. Uh, these were actually oh, really fun. Oh. It's the 90s mix candy. Oh, is this for me? Yeah, we each get one. So oh, yeah, we did get the 80s this one. Is fun. Okay, more candy. Front me up. Uh, what else you got? I, oh, let me, yeah, just so I can keep this in the box. Uh, What's in the box? Is that it? What's in the box? That's it for that All box, right. yeah. This is from Chris. This is from Dead Ass is My Boss. Oh! Oh, wow. I feel like we're being graced by, by some celebrities. Of the, some of the better... Questions asked. Yes. I'm uh, Dear Pat Needham, writing this short letter to say thank you for the many hours of quality audio you've produced while recording the CU podcast. I know I speak for a lot of listeners when I say you are both arrogant. No, I'm kidding. When I say <laughs> that the enthusiasm you both share for retro gaming as well as the many other topics you cover always makes for a thoroughly enjoyable listening experience. You may not realize it, but both of you have added a lot of positivity to the gaming culture. Well, tell that to those Facebook pages, thank you. I guess. <laughs> thank you very much. Also, on a more personal level, it is because of the CU podcast that I decided to start a podcast of my own. Oh, sweet. In spite of some early audio problems, it has been a lot of fun, and I thank you for the inspiration. Oh, that's part of the things you got to work out. Therefore, in appreciation of all that you do, I have made a donation of $100 to the ASPCA in honor of the Completely Unnecessary Podcast. <laughs> thank you so I much. I hope the donation will be able to help a few animals in need. Thanks that's again. That's so awesome. And I look forward to listening to many more enjoyable hours and episodes of the CU Podcast in the future. That made me shake. Loyal listener, Chris. Thanks, man. Thanks. I just wish I could specify to only have it go towards cats, but I guess dogs too are great Hey! Well. Dogs are great as well. Yeah, they're sure. Most, some are. I was almost mauled as a, uh, as a child uh, by a Dorman Pinterest, all this story. But thanks. That's an awesome, honestly, that's an awesome sort of uh, That's so great. thought of us. 
I won't front me up as much. What's next? That's why I put it on my wish list. That was my only wish list. This is from Marty Kirby. Trumpilius J. Caesar. <laughs> a little political. It's a, it's Trump in a Julius Caesar sculpture, and it looks like it's a, it's a play. It's a play. He he writes plays based on modern political figures. What was the last one he sent? Uh, it was uh, Rob Ford based. It was uh, Macbeth based on Rob Ford. Yes. Okay. So very niche genre. It was uh, very amusing, and uh, this should actually be quite amusing. I think. <laughs> Trumpilius' son, Sendavius, is searching for the murderers of his biological mother, Biana, and scorns the thought of, ex- <laughs> of accepting Millenaral as his mother. Oh, Jesus Christ, man. In the shadows, the libertarianist party is growing as America's citizens feel betrayed by both the Estabulus and the Democulus. Oh, see, a little... Oh, he wants the libertarian party to grow. So do I. Well, there you go. Chock full of conspiracy and double crosses, Trumpilius J. Caesar is a five-act play that examines the pain and pressure of modern politics. Follow him at Real Trumpilius. He, he got it on Twitter. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Marty. <laughs> that, that'll try to make it in the rotation. Can't promise you. I've got this big box. You go first. Okay. This one's heavy. This one's heavy, too. It's on a contest here. Uh, I'm not saying it's all for me. We both got our gains. Uh, I don't. I'm losing weight at like a rapid pace. It's kind of scary. You gotta hit the MAJ with me. Alright. It's it's from uh, Daniel... I don't... I can't. Uh, (laughs) Daniel Cooage, New New Berland, Netherlands. Hi, Pat and Ian. Love your podcast here in the Netherlands. Your scumbag videos are priceless and a good warning. I haven't done one in a while. What I really like about, liked about your podcast is that I have played games I never heard about and really liked them, although some, like Little Samson, I had to emulate that one because it's really expensive, even in Europe. But I never would have thought of that game if it wasn't for you two. I grew up with the Philips Video Pack and NES. Those were my <laughs> Which was the Odyssey 2. Yep. Those were those were my first console as a kid and been a Nintendo fan ever since, although I see the gems from Sony and Microsoft. I think you have to take the gems of all of them and see what you like yourself and be open to things you never knew. That's right. I've included some gifts for you two. Ian, I hope you like the gift I included for you. I've included a Dutch version for fun and I hope you like the English one. I have given them a good home for years and taken care of them to keep them good, so I hope they find a good home with you. If you don't like them, you can also say that I won't mind. Pat, I included a little gift for you, which you probably will see what it is by the shape. I also included something for your DS collection. Hope you like it and do not have it already. I also included some sweets that you can divide equally so, among each other. <laughs> Hope you like them. I think Ian will like the one which has chocolate in it. I think the real secret of the podcast is that in the time that you have done it, you have not grown three times your size of all, with all the candy. Somehow! Yet. Somehow, you should set a Pat and Ian fitness podcast with regular stadium event sessions. Oh, no, they don't have a, a YouTuber going after me for not having 100% gaming content on my channel. <laughs> I have a question for you two. Pat, what in Europe that has never come out in the U.S. would you love to come to the NES in the day? And is there a holy grail of NES collecting in Europe like the proportions of stadium events in Little Samson? And Ian, where did the fascination with Mahjong games start and why are they so good for you? Don't mind my bad English if it read a little weird because I'm not a super English writer. Looking forward to your book. Actually, your letter read quite well. Um, For me, the Mahjong game's uh, fascination started when I ended up with a strip Mahjong game in my PC Engine collection. I told myself I would never keep any game for the PC Engine I wouldn't play, so I taught myself how to play it. It was a pretty hard road. I had fun with it. 
they're cheap, so I decided I'd start collecting them. Uh, Mr. Gimmick should have came over here in terms of grails in Europe. I think that would probably be Rodland would be the biggest, I think, hard-to-find PAL NES game, I believe, along with Mr. Gimmick. Um, and that's Toffee. I'm guessing one's for each of us. Yo, Toffee Fay. Toffee Toffee Oh, this is heavy. Uh, some drops. Uh, a present for Pat. Want me to get the drops? I want, uh, oh, I will not eat these. I got, these. Is this licorice? I got drops, too. I think they're uh, salty licorice drops. Licorice I can't handle. Frank, lo- oh, no, I'll give it to Frank. Frank loves licorice. Uh, these. Here you go. Oh, just in case we wasn't, we didn't have enough of them. A kid mix. Okay. Some nice DS stuff for Pat. Okay. I'll open the DS stuff. And a toffee fay. Oh. And I will open this one. Well, I'll keep that for my grandkids a toffee. <laughs> oh yeah, baby. It's a signed Danny Sullivan postcard. Look at that, it's a sign. <laughs> Look at that. Signed Danny Sullivan. Oh, postcard. that's so cool. Oh, man. God. Is that a real signature? I think he got it signed. And then, what was the other thing? Nice drop. Oh. What'd you get? X Men stuff. Oh. Dawn of Apocalypse, Twilight of the Apocalypse. Legion Quest, so much wow. X-Men stuff. Yeah, you're going to be busy. Oh, the trade yeah. paperbacks. This is so cool. Thank you, dude. Yeah. Show, show the camera a little bit, some of these. Show the, Age of Apocalypse, Onslaught. I haven't read Age of Apocalypse. I should read that. The Frontline. I have the Storm. Jesus. Comrades in Arms. To the Victor. This is sweet. I also have a live fast, play faster uh, postcard sent. Thanks, man. That's and great. He also sent me a uh, Lucario uh, Japanese amiibo. Nice. Which is cool. Oh, ooh, it got crushed here. Hope it wasn't. Uh oh. Got a little, a little banged up. I'll try to repair it. I'll, I'll use some heat. Heat will do a job on it, right? It'll un- uncrush the bubble. That's really cool, though. The gold ones of these are really cool. And I got one more. Here, I got the letter. Okay. This is from... This is from Chris. Pat and Ian, hope all is well with you both. And enjoy your podcast on YouTube. It helps me get through the week. Pat, I have to mention that I recently met a guy who helps out at the Game Strike Frequent. His name was, I won't say his full name, was Kyle. Well, anyway, he said he is a moderator on Nintendo Age Forums. <laughs> I won't repeat what he said, but it was quite colorful language about you. Oh, see? <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm the one thinking that they don't really like me. Ian and Pat, your discussions and, and banner are a gem of unbiased... unbiased something. Keep it up. Programming. Ian, I have to ask, in Doom when you beat the Cyber Demon and then teleport to Hell, were you pissed you had to fight him again? Ask Frankie if he has ever had Carling's Blade 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 Label Beer or Blue Label Beer. Enclosure some goodies for Ian. Poster, two Super Famicom games, two DVDs, and Overwatch wristband. Sweet. There's your poster. Awesome. Ooh, it's Oscar. For Pat. Uh, Retro- Thank you. Retron One, Super Street Fighter Two for Super Nintendo, Street Fighter Alpha uh, for PS One. Ooh. That. And both candy. So we have some double bubble. Yeah. You like that? I do. We have 
We have some more Haribo. Yeah. But it's different. It's sour. You get one, I get one. Awesome. We have some sweet and sour uh, pops that we can split. Uh, another double bubble. I guess that one's for me. Yeah, it sure is. There's the Retron 1. Here's Battletech for Genesis, which was not mentioned as being a part of this. Oh, there's a back. I also hope to hear from you guys. Oh, I also said stuff via Amazon. Candy, 1990s, and a DVD. Oh, that was from him. Okay. Oh, that was two separate packages. Question for both of you. Uh, what is the most I should pay for a Sega Genesis and a Sega CD? Uh, I don't know. P.S. I, I may run into you guys at some point. I have a family in San Diego. Uh, and plan of is in the next few years. Have a safe summer. Thanks, Chris. Oh, I think I think I ran into him the other day at Luna because <laughs> I think he was from out of town. And he goes, when are you guys doing an unboxing? <laughs> oh, you could have mentioned that. Gundam F91. I think that's for Ian. Awesome. Thank you. No, I'm jealous of that. Um, Z, away to the new type. Looks like a sort of mech shooter, maybe? I don't know. Oh, it's not a Gundam game. Oh. Awesome. Okay. We have a bunch of comics that it's not spe specified who they go to, though. Yeah. So he may have threw these in the last minute. We have some Web of Spider-Man. Ooh, Daredevil, Man Without Fear that's uh, series. That's good stuff. You have some Avengers from the 90s, Secret Defenders, Spider-Man, uh, Green Lantern Guardians... I'll go through these later with Ian. We can divvy that up. Um, DVDs are for you, correct? We yes. have Rocco's Modern Life. Yeah. Which is a great yes. show. Uh, Helsing Impure Souls. That's that, cool. Is that cool? Yeah. Um, and then here's my Super Street Fighter 2. Thank you. And this, whoa, this is what, this is a great, this is a long box Street Fighter Alpha on PlayStation. That's awesome. This is not a... This is a good... This is... Yeah. It's fantastic. Thank you so much. That's cool. Oh, yeah. I don't, I've never seen this before at the swap meet. Uh, really cool stuff. It's a different case, though. It's Killeek. The DNA imperative is the it's that case. Was, that was an early first-person shooter. And then... And then there's the Retron 1 in there. Use it as your test console at Luna. You could. Right? Maybe, yeah. We have some DC Wonder Woman from the 80s. That's awesome. Uh, a lot of Wonder Woman, actually. I read a little bit of Wonder Woman, not too much as a kid. So these are all Wonder Woman, so I'll split these with Ian Lambert. Thank you so much. Uh, if you want to send this stuff, uh, it's CU Podcast, Care of Pat Country, P.O. Box 7695, San Diego, California, 92167. Uh, if you want to sponsor the podcast, email podcast at thepunkeffect.com. You'll get views. Make, hopefully make money on your business and or website and or YouTube and or Twitter. Twitter. You know, Twitter. Twitter. The, the that, trouble with Twitters. And we got this book that's first shipment store show up in Europe. So it's a real product. People have them. They're tweeting them out. Ultimate Nintendo. Guide to Dance Library. Go to ultimatenes.com to pre-order it. Get the digital version and also the beta version of the app I will be testing this month. So for Ian Ferguson. Goodbye. I'm Pat Contry. I will see you at a couple events coming up. Ian, we'll see you again soon as well. And on the podcast, yeah? Yeah. <laughs>